Welcome to Circuit Break from Macrofab, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and the eighth annual Macrofab Star Wars Christmas Special. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 410. Circuit Break from Macrofab. And this week we have three guests for the Star Wars Christmas Special. We have Hyron, Chris Craft, and Roz. Introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Hyron. I, I'm happy to be here. I am a systems engineer, a hardware hacker of Anodixor. We build uh, electronic badges for conferences. I muck in vending machines and design embedded system puzzles. I don't remember who's next. I'm Chris Craft. Uh, I do. I'm a software developer in the financial services industry and when i'm not that i'm i like to build things whatever i whatever's interesting uh yeah i guess that leaves me i'm Roz. i uh by day am a data analytics business intelligence professional for a giant east coast insurance behemoth and i also have that kind of weird bug that m- makes me interested in tweaking things, building things, blowing things up, seeing how things work that somehow keeps getting me invited back on this podcast. So even though I'm the only one here, that's not, that can't call themselves an engineer. So happy to be here. A Bakken engineer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got those uh, engineer metachlorians. I'm definitely risking because as soon as a software engineer, every actual engineer gets upset. So Aim that accreditation. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing there's no test to be a software engineer. You can't be certified to be a software engineer. It's like, okay, I'm just telling you what it says on my title. Uh, So for listeners that are new to the podcast and, you know, haven't been around for their, for the last seven episodes of the Macrofab Christmas special. Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah, Star Wars Christmas special. So this is like a special time of the year. We usually do at the end of the year where we uh, we talk about Star Wars and mostly the engineering and technology in Star Wars. We started this around when, when Disney brought back uh, Star Wars movies because then there was a lot of new content. Um, but I don't think we're going to be talking about anything that was new this year except maybe Hyron. Yeah, I'll, I'll dig yeah. into it. You know, I have some stuff about Ashoka, but yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, uh, we usually do uh, everyone here, um, we typically do like, could a thing in Star Wars exist with our physics or our engineering? And then we just like to talk about Star Wars for a while. So uh, if you don't like Star Wars, I would probably just like turn off this this stream right now um, and go <laughs> listen to like maybe the Amp Hour or something. Uh, oh, um, the- <laughs> Well, that was really negative. You need to put a positive spin on it, Parker. Such as positive this spin. is this is the eighth year doing the the Life Day celebration special, so it will be just as good as the Last Jedi, if not better. I hope it's better. The threshold <laughs> has been set very high. Obviously, yes. If anything, Roz is going to get sucked out into space for like three minutes, and we'll bring him back in. Yeah, don't worry Good. about it. He'll be fine. <laughs> I've been there before. It's no big deal. <laughs> Actually, uh, before we get started, uh, Hyron, Chris Craft, and Roz, you guys were part of last year's Star Wars special and the year before, right? 
Was it even? Yeah, this is our yeah, reoccurring more cast. Than that? I want to say my fourth. Might be my third, but I think that's it for me. I, I think this actually slots Roz in as the most reoccurring guest on the podcast, which is, and he, as he said earlier, doesn't have an engineering degree. Absolutely on criminal, podcast. given the title of the podcast. But whatever, <laughs> it, it's oh, good no, to have Roz, friends. <laughs> oh, you must have missed it, Roz. We we rebranded. Oh, we're circuit break now. Oh, I I now I can play with circuits. <laughs> yeah no more no more engineering in the title okay well then i belong here damn it <laughs> i mean i did two non-star wars ones yeah oh yeah that was right. uh we did that in the old bomb shelter that was a long yeah. long time ago in an old bomb yeah shelter. with uh with ben heck right yeah. Well, we started doing an annual, or you started doing an annual 3D printing, but then it got, well, there was nothing to talk about. Yeah. It just became cheap and fast, and there's nothing going on except getting cheaper and faster. Yeah, so far. I guess they're doing, like, predictive algorithms. Actually, yeah, all three of these guests have had episodes that are not Star Wars episodes in the past. That's so correct. Go yeah. check those out. Yeah, Hyron is part of Anon XOR, so we've done lots of Anon XOR episodes about uh, DEF CON and Badge Life. Roz has been on to talk about transformers and amplifiers, and yeah, and then Chris Kraft has been on to talk about 3D printers and uh, atomic loofahs. Atomic loofahs. I need to go I mean, hear need that still, one. Still one of our best episodes in terms of best performing episodes. Yeah, most downloaded. I mean, anytime you want to turn this into like an insomnia treatment podcast, I can talk about finance, technology. <laughs> and like to the first topic. <laughs> I can throw in some insurance. I can talk um, about traceability from requirements to design. Ooh. Oof. All right. So our first Star Wars topic of today is going to be, I want to talk about what is, what do y'all think is the most ingenious piece of technology in Star Wars that you wish existed. Uh, and we're not going to include the Force, even though, because Force could be technology or it could be some mystical thing. It could be quantum mechanics, as we previous. I think we've come up with like three or four different ways the Force could be the how it works on this podcast. Um, so no Force. What would be a piece of technology, though, that you wish existed? I've given this a lot of thought. Like, oh, before I even saw your list, this is something that I think about almost as often as I think about the Roman Empire. And uh, the piece of technology that I think would literally change our world overnight, because you could say hyperspace, but it would be 100 years before we could even leverage it. To me, the technology in Star Wars that would the, just reshape the world overnight would be, you can call it repulsor lift or whatever, anti-gravity, but the things that make things float. Because it's everywhere in Star Wars. Like they move things around by floating. The cars float in the city. Like the ships float into orbit. They don't need to have masses of, you know, engines and fuel just to get them out of the planetary gravity. So I don't know what it's called. I think it's called repulsor. I don't know if they're all repulsor technology or if it's anti gravity, whatever you want to call it. But that would be my number one. I think they call it a repulsor lift. Or just a repulsor lift engine. Hmm. So, yeah, it's just effectively a fancy word for anti-grav. Yeah, that's my number one. When you're at, like, the grocery store and your shopping cart is anti-grav, 
Do you think they'll have like that one wheel, the one anti-gravity wheel that's like sticks and doesn't roll right or float right? <laughs> or you think that'll still be a problem? Level, it only like, wants to go in circles. Or no, it's just not level. <laughs> yeah. Just think of how many briskets you can fill if you had a repulsor shopping cart. Uh, until you max out the repulsor list, I guess. It's probably like two cows worth. Well, that's the thing you can't tell from Star Wars is like how compact is the technology and what is what what are the power requirements um it, it must be pretty small because like even yoda could was that in the movies like he could float around did he have yeah, a chair yeah, that or was that in, little pod edited okay i couldn't remember if that was in or if it was like a bonus thing that i saw that they cut out but i swear i saw him like scooting along on a little chair that floats so it must be pretty compact technology what if it was the technology actually was they just shoved a jedi like under and under the hood and he was just like hovering it well he is a jedi so i guess maybe he's hovering himself well, i'm saying not all of it like a repulsor engine is literally like oh. a jedi force into like a locker like younglings or just something. sitting there with his yeah, sure. palms spread <laughs> strapped to the bottom of the Gets ship zapped if he doesn't those yeah. little, it's those little Babu Frick animal, you know, beings. They the force sensitive kinds, though. They just capture them and put them Ooh. in a little hamster wheel. You you know what's interesting? So so a topic I'm going to talk about later. Um, I'll be mentioning snow speeders from uh, Empire Strikes Back, and I actually have an image of that. You know, it's one of those ones from those coffee table books you can get. That's like the cross section of the ship itself. And the, the engine in a snowspeeder is actually just called the repulsor, repulsor generator. So I'm wondering if it's not, if, if hovering or whatever uh, mechanism that is and actual forward motion or propulsion is the same thing. Uh, if it's all one unit that does all of that. Hmm. It kind of seems that that's what they're pointing towards. The snow speeders don't really have jet engines like the Millennium Falcon does, like on the back where it has like the big ion, like beam coming out of it. Right. So I guess you could, if if you know, because a snow speeder is not really designed to, or I, we don't see it go out into outer space. Well, it um, was meant for something because I swear they said they adapted it, like at the beginning of. The, well, okay. I, I looked into this. The, they adapted them to Hoth because what's crazy is snow speeders actually are supposed to run ridiculously hot, and Hoth is too cold for them that they're it's actually dissipating too much heat. So they actually put covers over the cooling fans to heat them up in order for them to actually function properly. Okay. So that's the adaptation they had to do for. Snow, they're well, they're called air speeders, but on Hoth, of course, they have to call them snow speeders. So, if you took a snow speeder into a normal climate, it would just catch on fire, melt, burn. Well, the whole aft, if you look at it, it looks like a computer cooling fan or fins off the back. Because for whatever reason, the repulsor generator needs to run ridiculously hot in order for it to function properly, and it's too cold on Hoth for it to actually repulse hmm. the lore goes deep as it does yeah i'm digging in now <laughs> but I, I would i would think i mean uh, you know not knowing anything about it being whatever i would think that like kind of like maglev like once you figure out how to make something float then making something move forward and back should be just floating but in a direction i, I, 
Um, with tilting it. Yeah, I would say what I would pick is whatever they have figured out for fuel sources or energy sources. Yeah, that's what I was going to sure. say, Parker. <laughs> yeah. Nobody I, stops at a those, gas station. Yeah. Well, no, because they fill up like the Millennium Falcon at one point. Yeah, that was in Isn't Solo? Hoth too. Yeah. Was it in Solo that they went after fuel? I don't think in Solo they refueled. Well, they, they talk about Tabana Gas, uh, you know, for the Star Destroyers for the Empire in what is it, Empire Strikes Back, I think. Yeah, it, they mined a type of fuel. Right. And we went into this like two years ago. There's certain fuel types for different energy sources. Right. The Tabana gas is one of them there, but it's not as common. Energy density, I think is what I'm getting at. Well, yeah, right. I mean. Because they almost seem like they have unlimited density in terms of how much electricity or energy that like, like Luke's speeder, right? How fast it goes and it hovers and you never see him stop at like 7-Eleven to fill up for gas. Or just the lightsabers. The amount, like we've done the calculations before. Dozens of people have on the internet, like the amount of power that a lightsaber puts out and then the, what that little bastard's running off like nine volt batteries. <laughs> like Pretty what much. is what are they powering everything with? Because that's insane. Like you said, energy density. I'd have Rick and Morty has a whole joke about dropping a, a lightsaber beam down and it just keeps going towards the core. of the <laughs> earth. <laughs> It could be one of those like an idea I had because well, I was thinking about that energy density thing. It could be like wireless energy or the whole idea of like using quantum entangled elements to to wirelessly i'm doing air quotes here energy so we talked about that a little bit on the podcast a long time ago yeah because um, there was some like where you could entangle like you know electrons the electron spin and so if you reverse the spin somewhere else it would reverse the spin of the entangled one and you could technically capture that field change and then you know now you start entangling tons of electrons and boom now you can wirelessly transmit electricity just don't observe it or power. Then you'll write, you'll ruin everything. Yeah. You got, when you turn your lightsaber on, you got to close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have to use the force. <laughs> I'd say from a, from a technology standpoint, like the medical advances that they have, you know, like knitting, you know, uh, Luke's hand back together or giving him that prosthetic that he can actually feel. And it works like a real prosthetic or basically half of, Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker, Bakta tanks, like, I don't know, just the medical. Nobody dies of cancer in the Star Wars universe. At least, you know, they don't talk about it. don't get pregnant. Right. You you apparently just die of sadness. Yeah. (laughs) Sadness is is the the number one sickness in the the Star Wars universe. So Star Wars healthcare is really bad on mental health is what you're saying. If if losing the will to live is fatal, then that says something about it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they have like really strict, you know, the form you have to fill out at the hospital where it says you don't want to live if you're not going to live because um, they sure didn't try very hard to save her. Of course, Khan has a one child policy. So nice, Steven. Yeah, because you think they could have thrown her in a back to tank and just. Right. And just boil her for a few minutes and yeah. <laughs> she'd be fine. Or, or you know, the whole thing with uh, force healing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've thought like 
I've, I've thought about like, if I could travel to a fictional science fiction universe and get my back fixed, which one would I go to? And it's always Star Trek. Yeah. I never have thought, yeah, I want to get my medical care in Star Wars universe. Like it's always Star Trek. Or the or, Warhammer universe. Plus I, plus I wouldn't get a medical, like I wouldn't get a bill. They do, would just be like, they would make some snarky comment about how money doesn't exist anymore. And I would just <laughs> laugh and move on. Whatever. That's entirely fair. Well, the thing, Roz, about and if if you got went to War uh, Warhammer 40k to get your back fixed, you would end up just be turned into a robot, basically. Yeah, they they'd like give you a lobotomy and turn you into like some kind of servitor that you know <laughs> shoveled snot around or something in some warehouse. So, so next next year on the ninth annual, Chris Graf comes back and all he says is "Hail the Omnissiah." You know what happened? <laughs> the Emperor protects. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Like you, you just say, eh, "My back hurts," and like five minutes later, your spine is missing, and you have just like this bionic implant <laughs> all all over. <laughs> the thing, though, is the the difference in in medicine between Star Wars and Star Trek is that. The, the end result is the same. They do get healed in Star Wars. It just isn't some like magic wavy wand that shoots a little laser beam on your back and you feel better. It's it's just a giant tank of snot that you go swimming in for a little bit. <laughs> and it, 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 things just take a little bit longer in Star Wars. So, so do you think, does the Bacta like absorb into you or do they, or do you like involuntarily drink it because you're in it? No, because don't they wear like a... Oh, that's right. They wear breathing? a diaper. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. There's that too. But. I thought it was supposed to be kind of the the Star Wars equivalent of nanotech. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. Isn't it like a bunch I'm, of I'm reading. Time. I'm reading the page about it right now. It's actually it's bacteria. Yeah. I'm like, so you're in a bacteria pool and... Every time I've tried that, it didn't end well. I yeah, know. <laughs> it's starting to sound like homeopathy. I don't know. I, I just, got a septic tank in the front yard. I just popped the popped the hatch. So it's like Zycam kind of bacteria there. for Coruscant. <laughs> Zycam. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what if you're allergic? Like I can't take zosin or vancomycin or a few other crazy sounding antibacterials. Oh, those are antibacterials. I think there's like is, a giant tank of yogurt, basically. Yeah. Or a yogurt. Tank of yogurt. I, I do think there's actually in lore people allergic to Bacta. Bacta Sucks to be them. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, just like, a, it's like a bunch way. of uh, like uh, Neosporin. Yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's a bunch of Neosporin <laughs> and Windex. <laughs> uh, was, I don't know. It's probably just like a bunch of it's like uh, amino acids or something that align themselves into proteins and knit your sinew back together. It's got to be filled with, it's got to be filled with like narcotics and that's why we've been <laughs> on there so long. It's 100% placebo. <laughs> you just get really oh, high I mean, and have a great time and yeah, actually placebo just, man, plus I feel great. Opiates, you know, yeah. It, it is just blue jello. <laughs> All right, Steven, uh, most ingenious piece of technology. I might actually say thermal detonators because they just tend to <laughs> like they're, they're, they're nobody uses them, but they just tend to get their way with them. They just kind of flash them around and, and there you go. Everyone just kind of gives you what you want. You could try that with a real grenade. It 
probably work up to a point. <laughs> probably work, probably work fairly similarly, right? <laughs> <laughs> Till the SWAT Actually, team I'm curious, shows up. Did, has has a thermal detonator ever gone off in any of the shows? I'm sure it has. I'm just trying. Didn't to, they use one in of, the Mandalorian? Yeah, I think season yeah. one or two of Mando they used. Well, one. and is that what blew up in Andor? Like, like that whole crate of them were those? Oh, that's right. Yeah, in Andor they blew up. The kid threw the bomb, and then it just by luck, or depending on you know either good or bad luck, depending on which side you're on, happened to set off a crate of. Yeah, thermal, those detonators. Are thermal detonators. They're basically like small thermonuclear devices. So it's kind of like Starship Troopers, you know, the little nuke grenades that they have, or the little bazookas that shoot shoot nukes. Actually, almost okay. So, so maybe maybe let me uh, let me change that. That carbonite might actually be a really cool technology because it just preserves things for an enormous amount of time. And if we're talking about our universe and we wanted to do something like, say, travel to another galaxy, just put me in a brick of carbonite and wake me up in 70 years and it's like nothing ever happened to me. I'll go blind for a month and then be good. Save money on pizza. You know, leftovers. <laughs> I wonder, when you get frozen in carbonite, is it like you're sleeping or is it you just paused? Oh, that'd be horrific. I I would think pause because if Han was just sleeping for three or four months, you know, he's got to eat and are you pooping in the carbonite? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like uh, even, even when that, you're that sleeping, was four years. Even when you're sleeping, there's like a baseline consciousness or subconsciousness going on there that can kind of tell that there's like a passage of time. But like carbonite, yeah. I, I feel it's probably like anybody who's been under like general anesthesia, like you go to sleep, the next thing you know, you're that. awake. It's, it's, I feel it's, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah, I was just gonna say because like I've been under many times and it never doesn't like surprise me where you're awake mm -hmm. and then you're awake. You don't even have this sensation of falling asleep. You're just you're like, oh, I'm, I'm awake, but time has passed and you don't feel it. Like, yeah, I mean, because you're freezing your brain. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no synapses firing. You know. Probably why also he's really groggy when he wakes back up. And blind. I'm sure that's a hell of a hangover. Yeah, he says he feels terrible. So I think Han feels terrible most of the time. <laughs> he's just grumpy. Is, does he does Han ever say I'm feeling great? <laughs> I don't when think he gets he ever money. Does. When he gets paid. But he doesn't have like he he's not he doesn't say I'm happy. See what I said about <laughs> mental health in Star Wars? They don't have it. This is terrible. That's why you die of sadness. He is like a middle-aged dad now that you bring it up, you know? He's always grumpy. He's even grumpier in the sequel movies because he's like a 70-year-old grumpy. Uh, no, he's like, what, 80-something Ford? How old is Harrison oh, yeah. Ford now? Harrison oh, Google. Ford's pushing 80 at this point. But in, in the newer movies, he's just like a sad, divorced dad trying to find his, like... He's like Harley Davidson that he used to ride and thought was really cool. So is he having just a, a well, we have midlife crisis, but he's way past midlife at that point. So he's having like end of life crisis. Yeah. I mean, he only made it a year after that. So yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. Doesn't really talk to his estranged son anymore who joined a cult. You know, wife doesn't talk to him. She's into politics, way more successful than him. He <laughs> She's just rides like, around uh, with a giant dog. Stealing from people. 
<laughs> Upset that he lost his car. Been looking for it for 30 years. <laughs> he got repoed once. Couldn't find it again. Just won't let, won't let the dream die. You know, imagine that someone is so hell bent on something. You're like, hey, Roz, how's it going? You're like, I have been go- looking for this car for 30 years. I'm like, <laughs> not talking to Roz anymore. A little crazy at this point. Yeah, son of a bitch brings <laughs> up that damn car every time I see him. I don't know. I've seen YouTube videos like that where people break down because they like found the car that their dad owned or whatever and got it fixed up. I have so. a I have a crazy personal story about that. We won't, we won't get into here because it'll take too long to tell. But yeah, that I've had that happen. Like a a car that was in the family that somebody found two decades later, and yeah, it happens. Han Solo just needs or a to random keep- story about dog tags in a garden somewhere. Yeah. Didn't didn't that also happen to you? Uh not dog tags but like a bracelet. Uh similar oh, similar okay. story, but yeah. That 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 one's weirder. But yeah, Han Solo just needs to give it up and go get a job. Oh, Ron's going to do that uh it's a story for another time us. He's pulling a maz on us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did she ever tell that story that little orange no, no. bastard? No. no. Not yeah. At all. No, thanks. Never did. Thanks Ryan Johnson/ slash J.J. Abrams. I'm yeah, they, surprised they, they, they really did Hans dirty, didn't they? Like they just—he's just a sad character in the new ones. He's General Han Solo, hero of the Republic. The dude got like the equivalent of the Medal of Honor, and he's chasing around his repoed car from night, you know, fifty <laughs> years ago. He's, he's he's trying to find his 1984 Trans Am Firebird. Yeah, T top with yeah, with T-top. flames going down the side. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, just from the standpoint that it was involved in the destruction of both Death Stars, like it'd be in a museum. Be, it, it would be in a museum. It like, belongs in yeah. a museum. Yeah, a space <laughs> Smithsonian. I mean, unless the Republic has like no concept of well history and seen seen the new shows, I would say they don't like like. From their standpoint, once they got back in power, they didn't care about the past. One of the recurring themes in Star Wars is we never learn from our mistakes or from history. No, that's how you make a, a trilogy every time. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> that's how. So, Hyron. That's how the uh, Emperor keeps coming back. Yeah, mm-hmm. keeps coming back. Snoke, episode eight. <laughs> that ends up being one of my favorite lines, which I thought was one of the. <laughs> yeah, it, that's he's uh, back one of our somehow. Um, the no, well, uh, from the from the new Thrawn series, which they named Ashoka for some reason. The uh, Balin is such a good character in that, and um, he kind of talks about that about how the cycle. He's like, it just keeps repeating over and over. He's like, the Republic, the Empire, the Republic. He's like, just the same thing over and over and over. And I was like screaming at my screen yes so so hi ron what's your tech i'm a man of simple needs vibroblade (laughs) (laughs) i want vibroblades cutting through that brisket steaks doing surgery (laughs) steaks brisket i'm just going back to i want a vibroblade for carving up meat that i've barbecued but uh, i think a vibroblade would would generally benefit all of mankind up there with a the thermal detonator but i want the vibroblade 
And I don't get how it doesn't dull the blade. Like it's just vibrating really fast back and forth, everything, but that would, that should dull the blade, but it doesn't. You have a non-dulling blade. It's vibrating to help you cut. It's the perfect knife. Everyone wants that. Next time we play Star Wars RPG, my character is going to have vibro dentures. <laughs> his melee attack so is going to be well a, done steaks. His his melee attack is going to be a nom 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 nom. <laughs> it's just Jaws from uh, uh, 007, right? Yeah. 007, yeah. I'm actually just imagining you Moon turn Ranger. those on. And all you hear in your brain is a sound of of a vibrating. You You don't even have a negative four to perception checks. You just put your teeth on something that just kind of carves through an arm. Like, what what if I don't know? What if you have a splinter and you're like, oh, I need to pull this out, and you, oh, my finger's gone. My guy can't talk because he keeps swallowing his own tongue. <laughs> oh, but but do, do you understand how unsettling that would be if you just closed your jaws and touched your teeth together? <laughs> oh, that would be oh, that'd be awful. <laughs> also, I love how the Star Wars RPG you can like if you go to the weapon section, it's like you can have a knife, a sword, an axe, and then the obviously the next step up is to just add vibro in front of all of those, and it just makes them better somehow. Vibro teepee. Problem solved. <laughs> One square. One <laughs> square. The best tech from Star Wars. They have toilet paper in Star Wars? Uh, I don't know. Probably they... in between teepee and three seashells. That's what I was Somewhere thinking. in that range in Vibro. the middle of Star Wars. Vibro Vibro seashells. Seashells. They just no, don't no show... you just jump in the back to tech. <laughs> oh. I think they're in the, the same. Bacteria eat it. That's where the back I think they're in the from. same family as star trek is they just don't show bathrooms they don't have to you know i think babylon 5 might have been the first like sci-fi series that showed an actual bathroom space bathroom or whatever yeah you know it'd be pretty interesting to figure out how they maybe it's related to the same technology that chris talked about with like the repulsor fields but like Gravity on everything in the middle of space be pretty interesting. So, like, I've been watching The Expanse, you know, recently. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I think they do well is they talk about, like, the effects of low gravity to zero gravity on the human body for long periods of time. So there's, like, these people that were raised out in little to no gravity environments their entire lives and they have like zero bone mass and their muscles are extremely underdeveloped and stuff. So, you know, that would be a pretty, some pretty important technology. The belters can't go back to earth. You you would think with all those opposing gravitational forces, you would create a problem at some point, something would collapse. You'd have micro (laughs) black holes all over the place. This is repulsing. That's attracting it. Like, uh, Yep. Oh, he got sucked into a black hole. Shouldn't have backed into that. I, I would be curious what kind of industrial accidents happen in the Star Wars galaxy, you know? Are there entire, like, star systems that have just <laughs> caved in on themselves because somebody plugged the red wire where the black wire is supposed to go? Someone forgot to use the lockout tag out. <laughs> and, uh, oops, planet <laughs> gone. <laughs> I think the, like, Speaking of bathrooms, if you want to have the most unique take you'll ever see in a sci-fi series on bathrooms, 
watch Lex, L-E-X-X. And if you're not willing to watch the whole series, just, I don't know, Google Lex bathroom. I'm sure there's a clip of it. It's Lex was unique. Like there was, there's nothing like it before. Nothing has been like it since as far as sci-fi goes. Wasn't there a Star Trek series about janitors? I think that's there Lower was a Decks, right? series. Yeah, it, it, Lower Decks is about yeah. like like the, but there was a spoof that. Trek series or a spoof Star Wars series that was about janitors. Okay. Yeah, that and they they I I've played some of their videos and they did some fundraising I think or whatever. But yeah, it was well done. Yeah. All right. Enough bathroom talk. I actually asked chat GPT while we were talking about that. And my favorite thing is what it said at the end is uh, overall, while the Star Wars universe includes a detailed and expansive depiction of life in a galaxy far, far away, it generally skips over mundane aspects of daily life, including bathroom facilities. But we do get to watch people drink blue milk. So there's yeah. that. And now we know there's green milk as well as blue milk. I don't Why do they just have all the colors? I don't think they come from the same similar sources. It's like curry. Yeah. We'll get it in the future. Maybe there's red milk and it's spicy. Oh, uh, they don't call them bathrooms in Star Wars. They call them the refresher. I just the learned refresher. that. The refresher. Oh, that's so civilized. <laughs> that's, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. I'm, I'm not on board with that. No. Uh, ne next topic. Most underrated character in all of Star Wars. I don't know the person's name. I'm cheating a bit by saying a group of people, but the the folks on Camino, the clone people, because like they're in there a little bit and then you never see them again. And like they created a whole like army of people. Like how, where, why did you never see them again? Did the Empire just blow them up? So. These are the ones with the super long, thin necks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk, speaking of tall people, yeah. The ones that uh, were, were their planets all nice and pristine and watery. I'm sure the humidity there is bad, but yeah. Yeah, they're inside the whole time. Yeah. I think that's, that's a general holdover from the episode one, two, three trilogy. There's groups that did amazing things that were used and essentially killed off or forgotten. Hmm. Like you have the Geonosians doing the engineering of most of the Death Star and everything. And then they just get killed and Empire takes it and has their own scientists and engineers hmm. finish yeah. it. Ethnically cleansed. I, I just remember being amazed by the, like this planet and all those people and they're training them and feeding them. And then poof, like you never hear from them again. Like, what happened to version two? You know, like they could create an army out of seemingly nothing. How come they didn't create a new one now? Like for the Defense. first order or whatever. Didn't they mention? I wonder if it has something to do with the fact, because like it's been a while since I've seen episode two or three or whatever that was. That's th that's two, Shoot. I think. Attack of the Clones, right? I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that like the vastness of space isn't very well communicated in Star Wars. Uh, I think one of the few sci-fi universes that does that similarly well, or at least nods to it, is the Warhammer, you know, kind of universe mm -hmm. where there's entire civilizations and star systems and planets that have been 
colonized and settled by human beings that people don't even know about because they're so fucking far out there. And I, I wonder if it's like Camino is, you know, you look at it on a map of the galaxy or whatever, and then you realize that, okay, this is like hundreds of light years or something away from the nearest star system. So maybe you just don't like trip along. But that was mine. Although, like I said, I cheated a bit because it's not a person. True. I was kind of hard pressed to think of just one character that. Oh. I mean, the only one I could think of was, but they gave him, like, featured him in, in an episode, was the actor who played Jar Jar. They gave him the role of the guy who saved Grogu. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was amazing. Like, that little, little scene he was in, I just thought that was so, like, just he acted it well. It was written well. I just, you know, it wasn't very long, but I just really enjoyed that. How part. did I miss this? Well, maybe I'm lying. It, it I thought was it in, was the same. Actor. It was in season three of Mando. It is. Yeah. I'm going to have yeah. to go back and watch that now. That guy I mean, got he doesn't look so like much Jar -Jar, undeserved you know? hate for, yeah, for that yeah. role. Like, oh. yeah, I may not like the character of Jar Jar, but I never not felt any <laughs> ill malice towards the actor. It's like, yeah. You're trying to inject some rationality in there, Chris, which the internet does not have. Right. Right. It's, yeah. It's, but 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 yeah, I, I I would like I wouldn't call him underrated because he was amazing in Man in Mando. So I don't know. I'm kind of I don't know. Most of the characters when they are actually in an episode get good. You know, it would have to be some character who did something cool and they got like squashed or sliced in half or something. I mean, like the only other character I can think of is the guy from the Jedi Council with the the tall hat, but then Oro Knots keeps blurring into my head because in my mind, every time I see him, I hear him going, you know, I hear tales of a taco made completely from burritos, you know, so, <laughs> which is in Oro Knots, it's not in Star Wars, so, yeah. And then Yoda says, if it exists, we'll find it, oh no, well, whatever. Qui-Gon says that, I think. Qui-Gon, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Good stuff. If you've never seen it, watch Oral Knots. Yeah, Jedi Party for sure. Jedi Party. I think that is my favorite rendition of Star Wars. So, <laughs> okay, so uh, still on. Well, underrated you wrote characters. the question. You must have had someone in mind. Me? When you wrote that, yeah. Um, I didn't actually. I was trying to think of who I would pick or what I would pick because I guess it doesn't. It just needs to be a character, so it could be a droid as well. You know, I the announcer. In the pod race, <laughs> what the, the it's the two headed alien. What is what is that creature's name? And does each head have a different name? I think so. I I think that's like I would say probably my favorite Star Wars. Fode and Bead. So it's two people. That's the name of them. Yeah. Um. The, I think the the pod racing scene is probably my favorite of all Star Wars. And then the second favorite would be like Rogue One, like the last half of that movie, uh, the, the whole space fight. <laughs> That's kind of unfair because that thing's like, that scene's like 30 minutes long. Um, but the pod racing scene is probably my favorite. And I think that announcer really, the, the voice actors for it really sell that scene really well as being like, like it's like NASCAR in space, basically. So they sell they sell it really well. And I don't think they get enough credit. Well, that whole movie doesn't get enough credit. Um, 
because of Jar Jar and other writing issues that that George Lucas can't write. The Bunta Eve Podrace. There are plenty of characters that get, I think, too much credit in Star Wars, but finding one that does, didn't get enough, that's kind of tough. Like, I mean, the obvious one yeah, especially when you, is Chewbacca. I was saying it was when you go on like Wikipedia is like every, it feels like almost every single character has a novel written about them. They yeah. did at one point. Mm-hmm. I think the obvious one is Chewbacca. Like, guy didn't even get a medal at, at the end of New Hope. He didn't get a hug either at the end of episode seven. He's going to live for another yell from the stage. He's going to live for another 400 years. He's going to see the fall of the empire, you know, the birth of the new Republic, the fall of that Republic, the birth of the first order. Like the guy's been around. He's seen some shit. Maybe we should listen to him and not just treat him as the little sidekick. You know, that is a good point. He always is like in the background. It kind of makes you wonder like evil. Either Chewbacca's just like, he's just along for the ride. You know, I, I'm sure you've gotten to that point in your life in some group where you're like, man, I'm so beyond like trying to explain these things to these people. Like, I'm just going to kind of take a <laughs> breath and sit back and just watch, you know, just be part of it. I think Chewbacca I mean, might have reached that level. Well, especially, you know, being as old as he is. I mean, because that happens like I see. I know a fair number of like really young people and I'll see them do something. I'll be like, and like, there might've been a point in my life where I would have been like, y- you don't want to do that. Right. That's really dumb. But now I'm like, well, people need to make their mistakes. Exactly. So, <laughs> and, so Chewbacca is wiser than all of us. So like multiply our age by like, uh, uh, you know, 10 and Chewbacca is like so far beyond he's transcended that. You well, know. and that, could explain well besides the whole life debt thing that could explain because if he he probably doesn't even care about life debts but it's just like if you were that old and had seen that much stuff come and go the only thing that would really matter at that point is personal connections right you know like your friends like that would be it like that's all that would matter and that's probably why he's like sticking around because he knows Han won't be around forever but he will be relatively speaking so kind of the opposite of owning a dog you know hands like his dog like you you know get as much time with him while he can because he won't be there forever you know (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of like the highlander dilemma of watching all your loved ones die and being cursed with the gift of immortality immortality. which was i don't know if you watched sandman but that was in oh sandman well i thought it was awesome but there's an episode that kind of hits on that like what if someone decided they weren't gonna die like instead of lost in the will to live they just lost the will to die well they just decided they weren't gonna die i mean i don't want to spoil anything it's it's it's, it's an, an amazing episode give it a chance sandman outside of that i think i'm i'm kind of cheating here by picking two i think uh there's a Ooh. there's a character in rogue one uh donnie yin's character you know the blind monk Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is cool because it shows what somebody... And they kind of hint at it later with, like, Leia in the sequels. What somebody who's not... But Leia was trained in, you know, she was she received Jedi training. Whereas this... I think his name was Chirrut. 
not not a Jedi, didn't receive any Jedi training, but obviously force sensitive. I thought that was kind of cool because it was like playing the Star Wars RPG as a kid and, you know, obviously understanding that there are people out there who are sensitive to the force who aren't necessarily Jedi or Sith or, you know, uh, what they could be. I thought Rogue One was great, but there's a lot of characters in that movie that, that probably did some. I think the whole movie doesn't get enough recognition. So, yeah. You know, if I have to pick one, uh, this has probably been argued to death and it might seem like a character that has plenty of recognition, but I just think that they didn't do this character enough for it to actually land home for me. And I'm actually going to pick Darth Maul because I think, I think his character was super cool in the first one and they set this guy up to be this nemesis and then they just just completely obliterate him from the scene and that that kind of leaves you paused at saying like what okay so what's there for the next two movies I feel like they could have evolved him quite a bit more and so underrated I don't know like I I remember I I they not vaguely I very distinctly remember when that movie came out, you know, I was in sixth grade and, and the, the playground was all talking about Darth Maul. Like it was, he was like the coolest bad guy of the time, but let's just like, he's gone. Like there was, there's nothing more that, that was it. And, and they're like kind of weird attempts to bring him back or reference him was just, I don't know. It felt, it fell with a thud for me. Uh, after that, I feel like they could have really done something bigger with him. So I think that's, I think Darth Maul was very underrated. Yeah, I agree with that. And it almost feels like they must have planned in something. I, I don't want to say contract dispute because he came back for other stuff, but it, you're right. It seems weird. Like they'd build up a character like that. Not that that hasn't happened. I'm trying in to think Star Wars. Else. <laughs> well, yeah, in Star Wars, but in other. Because like, he was great character to build up. I mean, because like if you had come to me not knowing anything about Hollywood or producing or any of that stuff. If you just went to me, man on the street and said, Hey, we're going to build the next trilogy around princess Leia. I'd be like, that might be a mistake <laughs> and not because of the character because of the actor. But like, I just <laughs> would have been like, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Reliability. I don't know. But here's like, what was he before that stunt person? I mean, young Vera, like he could read the lines. So looked good on camera. So why not have him be the bad guy in multiple films? There must have, something must have happened that made them go, yeah, we just need to write him out. I don't know. That's my conspiracy for today. That's it. Yeah, Cause they eventually brought him or that character back. Uh, uh, other, they baloneyized him. So like, yeah. I don't know. He was in well, that's, that's what I'm getting at. Is I wonder if there was something weird went on. Because um, I think they should have at least had, you know, Maul was the big bad in episode two, basically. Is what I, I agree with Chris Craft. I was hoping and hoping that, like, in the solo movie, when they were getting more into the crime syndicates, I'm like, yeah, show him, bring him back. And I'm like, Oh, uh, you know, it was so close where I'm like, it's a perfect way to bring him back in. Do this, and there's, please. There's, he's supposed to be involved with, uh, God, what is the name of that? Is it Black Sun or? Shadow something? 
he ended up he ended up like rising to the top of this crime syndicate and becoming like Mm -hmm. a you know basically the godfather or whatever but that still feels like someone you know underachieving because he was (laughs) no like going oh we're sorry we did that to you here yeah we'll make you the boss and it's like okay i could have been right there at the top of you know because he went from being the Sith and, you know, like he was number two to a Sith Lord. You know, that means he would have become number one. He would have become the Sith Lord once whatever, whoever died. So it's like it doesn't make sense. I, so earlier, uh, Chris, you said, um, what if you what if there was someone who refused or decided they didn't want to die? That is Darth Maul. He just decided I'm not going to die, and he didn't die. Huh. And he became leader of the Black Suns, basically. Uh, okay, let's consider if Darth Maul, if they didn't off him in the first episode, and they kept him through episode one, two, and three, and maybe at the end, Anakin had to kill Darth Maul to take his place, that would have been really satisfying. Like, kill yeah. him, take his place, and become Vader. That would have been so cool, because you could build this evil character up this entire time, and, like, the true, like, test of being evil for Anakin would be to off this dude. Avenge uh Avenge Obi and Yeah, uh what's his name? Qui Gon. Yeah. And Obi Wan chooses, you know, the light side, the path of forgiveness and whatever, I don't know, hippie stuff. And then Anakin falls to his hate. Yeah, and he just completely offs him in in a like a fit of rage of hate. And the yeah, like the Emperor just like totally baits him into it too, because he doesn't really want Darth Maul anymore anyways, because he's got Anakin now. Yeah, especially right. if they made that would, if see, they that would have been so satisfying for for both Anakin and Maul and the Emperor. Especially if they if they could right. figure out how to tie Maul to killing Anakin's uh, mother on Tatooine. Because right and the and how it's written is the Sand People like kidnap her and end up uh, killing her, and then he just goes on a murder spree and kills all the Sand People. But if it was Darth Maul, then he has a single force single person to put all his hate into to strike down and become them and I, I don't know about you guys Padme during childbirth and I don't know about you guys but as like a I don't know teenager watching Anakin find his mom in the sand people village and then go absolutely thermonuclear and just kill everyone I was kind of like yeah I'd do that. You know, like I'm I, I'm okay with this, you know. <laughs> they kidnapped your mom and killed her. Uh I think uh I'd go John Wick on those guys if 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 I could, but uh it yeah, didn't I wasn't really a teenager, so didn't... I think for me my reaction was like I don't know if I was even awake at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie is to get to that point's pretty rough. The movie picks up at that point is really great at that point, like onwards, but man, before then Episode two is pretty rough. But was that episode two? I thought that was three. That was two, I think. Two. 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 Oh, okay. Because I remember waiting in line for one, like, because we were excited because it's been like so long. And then after one, I was like, I'm not waiting in line again. Not for <laughs> one of these. Yeah. Episode two starts out really good. And then, man, it drops off a cliff. And then it 
shoots right back up at near the and end. And now episode but, but two the, looks like Citizen Kane compared to The Last yeah. Jedi. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. my, my reaction, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about it one day, like, I was thinking about, like, how I didn't react well to the prequels, and yet I know a lot of people love them. And then I thought about them, like, it's the age. Because it is. Like, like for me, Star Wars hit when, whatever, because I was born in 68, so Star Wars was 77, so whatever, it was like 11, 12, and uh, 9, bam, like that, that just like stuck in my head. It was epic. But by the time I get to the prequels, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, more special effects, more people just running around and yelling, and I'm like, at that point in my life, I like, I was like, I want dialogue, I want character development, I want like stuff I can chew on for months afterwards. And, um, you know, so that's why I didn't react well. But that doesn't mean they're bad. That doesn't mean one's better than the other. It's just, you know, your personal journey through the experience. So I might play an interesting social experiment with my children because my oldest two kids, all nine movies have been out for the most part since they've been born. I think I took my son to see like the the, the sequel trilogies, but he's been, he was pretty young. I guess the point is, my wife and I literally had a debate like, OK, do we let them watch it chronologically, like in the in the in the order they were released or do we start them like canonically and start with episode one? Like, how should we do this? And ultimately, like we let them start watching episode four, five and six, like like all of us watched it. And I don't know if it's a product of the order in which they watched it or Maybe they're just better movies, but my kids, when we sit down on, you know, Saturday morning and they don't have anything to do and we want to watch something on TV, they don't ask for the Clone Wars or, you know, Phantom Menace. They ask for Return of the Jedi or, you know, A New Hope. So hmm. I've got two more kids. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll let them watch episodes <laughs> one, two, and three first. Because you know they're, I've got a three-month-old and a two-year-old, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna play devious games with their Star Wars experience and see what happens. Create dichotomy in the family. Your your sample size is large enough to be uh, significant, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll report out uh, in a few years on what. Well, and you have to yeah. limit your own bias. True, you know, you have, I have to, to go into the other room and, and not curse when stupid things happen. Yeah. Jesus Christ, what the fuck? <laughs> um, it's interesting to bring up, Chris, because, you know, it, it should be the same thing for, for me then, where, like, you know, I don't like the sequels, and I, I don't think the prequels are the best, and I, I still think the OG, if you're going to keep as trilogies, I think the OG is still the best series. But, like, for me, like, Rogue One, which is a new disney made star wars movie i think that is that is my favorite star wars movie and like solo is in like top five like i really like solo um so i maybe there is some because i haven't like we talked about earlier uh episode seven like the first half of that movie i love the first half of that movie and then it just goes way off the rails yeah so yeah i don't know i had just something a thought i had yeah, no, it's definitely something to think about too. Because I just know when, a lot when of you get, when you get the people when you get the people that don't like Rogue One or 
those kind of movies, uh, Star Wars, and they don't like the sequels, I'm like, that's when I'm like, okay, it's probably because you actually don't really like Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how it's, you really feel, Parker. Yeah, it's it, well, it's more of they like the nostalgia of Star Wars versus reminding the story them of and the lore, and yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it gets interesting because there's an entire generation that grew up with shows like The Clone Wars, and and like I never watched that stuff, but there are people who are like diehard fans of like Ahsoka Tano and and yeah. a lot of these characters that were developed in those series that I know nothing next to nothing about and kind of don't have that emotional connection to. So I was never really into those those shows, and and uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, Parker, I think they're kind of like a different i don't know different strokes for different folks i hire on underrated character get back in on topic Ooh, I'll, I'll finish off the, the the category um and i'm placating my my future engineering topic r5d4 also known as skippy the astromech droid the one with the bad motivator Oh yeah, that enabled all of episode, uh, all the original sequels. Uh, yeah, all, so, original series that happened. So he he makes a reappearance in Mandalorian season three. It's not canon. I mean, most stuff is not canon now. Uh, but until the canon filtering happened, one of the things that was hey, it was a random comic endorsed by Lucas back in the day. Um, that it's so silly and, you know, it doesn't play into the whole midichlorian thing if you want. But Skippy was a Force-sensitive droid. And Skippy, yes, they gave him the name Skippy in the comic. He could foresee that he was not up to the task of everything that was going on. And he knew that R2 had been in contact with Princess Leia. And he he's like, I need to make sure... R2 connects with Luke Skywalker, so all of this plays out. So he blows his own motivator in order to cause that butterfly effect to happen. Yeah, not recognized as canon. They put out the comic, but he still makes all these little appearances and pops up every now and then, and I'm just like, Skippy, R5-D4, the bad motivator droid, but you can kind of pull him back as a butterfly effect in some parts of the early trilogy, which is kind of interesting into your point earlier you pick any droid anything it has a novel written about it right <laughs> the, the whole concept of medichlorians though kind of oh yeah how does that work with that droid it, i don't know Th this was before medichlorian existed as a thing maybe he has a few skin cells for you sensitive know, skin cells uh, under a motivator. I don't know. <laughs> you, even though I made the whole speech about living the live to the prequels, I can't forgive them for midichlorians because they took the concept of the force. Like when I was a kid, like the thought was anyone could be part of the force. Everyone was part of the force. And yes, there were Jedi who were like amazing force users, but the idea was anyone could get there like with time and skill and practice, like anyone could get there. And then in the prequels, they turned it into a monarchy and it's like, and to me that was Lucas's kind of pro monarchist personal feelings leaking out into the screen. And 
So I, I just, I'll, I'll never forgive them for, for making it about blood and who your parents are and, and where these magical things appeared in your, in your, in your body versus well, then you, just then you the, like episode nine where like Ray Skywalker has all the Jedi in her. Well, I know that's, <laughs> it's still, she's like, all the Jedi, right? I mean, she's probably got more than any of them because her, her grandfather's Palpatine, but I, I just, just, no, but she's a Skywalker. Right. She changed her name. I mean, <laughs> my niece changed her name. It's not that hard to do. You, know, you go to sort of a judge, say my dad is a loser and boom, your name is changed. Yeah. And Carson, um, I start calling myself Roz Musk tomorrow. It doesn't make me the son of the richest man in the, uh, in the world. So maybe, maybe and I don't think a judge him. would make her argue much if she changed her name from Palpatine, you know, Ray Palpatine to Ray Skywalker or whatever. <laughs> Like you wouldn't have much of an argument from the judge to say, you could literally just go, yeah, my grandpa's Palpatine. Then you'd be like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, whatever you want. (laughs) There's a, uh, there's a fanfic like short opportunity there. I think somebody needs to make like a, (laughs) like a night court, you know, judge Judy. Ray getting her name. Ray Ray filing the paperwork. Okay. So unpopular opinion here. I think that's the one perhaps the one thing that is decent from the eighth movie, the last Jedi at the very end, when they show that little kid who uses the force to pick oh, yeah, up a broom yeah. or what you're talking broom kid being underappreciated <laughs> broom kid is totally underappreciated. And, and, and the very next movie, JJ Abrams had to completely ax that and be like, no, the only way you can be a Jedi is if your dad is a wizard or your grandpa's a wizard. That's it. Yeah. That's the only yeah. way. And I, and I, I, I kind of like the idea that, that's not the requirement uh, that, that, you know, you could be in tune with the force. And in fact, the, the Star Wars RPG and the games allowed for that. There was, there was a class called force adept, which was basically somebody who just thought of it as magic and just grew up with these abilities. And they didn't have this organized religion around it. So and it's kind of cool because the new, they're a druid. Yeah, 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 in a way, yeah. And 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 I think the new show Ahsoka kind of mm-hmm. uh, kind of does a little bit to that. It kind of leans that way a little bit where the whole like structured like almost Catholicism religion behind uh the Jedi that's gone and it's it's a little bit more of like a spiritual thing in a, yeah. in a way. Uh, that's kind of my pun on Bakken engineer where you know, I, I think Balin makes that quote at some point where he goes like, oh, yeah, they're a Bakken Jedi. They weren't trained under the formal temple or anything. They were just out in the wild, um, not sticking to the faith and everything. And then you learn about more about the witches and you go, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not just Jedi or Sith. It's there's the force. There's many force users. There's many different beliefs on how you use the force. I, I at least like them tapping into that more because it's it's exploring it more into there's not a black over white here. There's many gray areas and different approaches to things, and it makes it more entertaining that way. Now, in that mo- in that show, because they show the Night Sisters right in that mm-hmm. in the new yeah. Disney show, are they gray? No, they're they're a different type because gray would be the boob babu boob. Whatever they're called, the so in Jedi Fallen Order, the Night Sister in that is 
she's gray in color. Yeah. Oh, the, well, the they're gray. A, they're, 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 they have a skin condition. They're, that's they're true, pale. But, there's, but which there's, is they're not, but there's a term like, like, cause the, like in, oh, I was playing off the whole, like, there's these black big and creatures. white Jedi Sith, but then the Night Sisters are literally gray they're, color. <laughs> they're, they're more, the witches of Dathomir are kind of palish with, burns and marks on their face yeah. from their weird indoctrination. They changed how they look. There's Zabrak, which is the same thing that a that Darth Maul was, but Darth Maul was tattooed, so but naturally they're kind of like, you know, flesh toned. Mm-hmm. Everyone has seen like the Here. rebels. Is I, I want to share but, uh, but Night there, Sister Marin. But there is, is there's like these the creatures movie. that are force wielders and they're not and he literally says I'm in the middle, you know, like, and they have a name, and I can't remember the name. And they're voiced by Tom Baker, who played Doctor Who, best Doctor Who. Um, yeah, I don't know if um, the Night Sisters were first shown in Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. They might have been in some TV show before. Clone Wars. That was the first time I was introduced, and they were in that video game. They were literally gray in color between black and white Jedi Sith, um, and it's kind of a really like hitting the head on on uh the metaphor i guess i would say they they hit on that more because even balan skull and ahsoka are, are all we're not jedi we're not this we're on our own path yeah so it's yeah and 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 you know what i i bet you they could give a rat's ass about medichlorians because they don't need to get to that level of explaining why they are what they are they're just like they just don't give a, a rat's ass about it. Favorite Star Wars quote. Uh, I'll go first because I would. I I actually have one. I have top of my head is is when Han Solo says, "Never tell me the odds." <laughs> I think that is my favorite quote. And whenever like I try to figure out how to do something, that's I, that actually pops in my brain a lot. Is like, you know, how what's the odds of this thing working? Well, let's actually go down the path a bit see how possible it might be but you know don't just be like oh that's impossible don't let that be your stopping point right so never think of what the odds could be before you start actually you know doing some work on it i would have to say there's a there's a part in return of the jedi after han solo they return to the cloud city and he gets captured by the empire and they're torturing him and then they throw him back in the cell with Chewbacca. And I think Leia might be in there too. And uh, he says, it's kind of, a, it's kind of messed up, but it kind of, it's cool. Cause it, it paints the empire in kind of that evil light. He says, they never even asked me any questions. Like they just tortured him. Didn't ask him any questions. I think continuing with the Han Solo quotes, the classic, I love you. I know. <laughs> quote from uh from Han Solo because that was entirely improv by Harrison Ford. He was he was supposed to say I love you back, but that's so perfectly Han Solo to just be like, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> who who couldn't love me? Chris Crab? Well, I don't know. I don't think I have any quotes that I that I keep playing. For me it's always like what was the last thing I saw and not to keep going back to Ashoka, but like that Balin's got so many good lines in there that you just, you, I mean, 
I mourn the loss of the actor, but just I also mourn it from the sense of what it means for season two because he just played them so well. But there was a there was a scene that I've I've literally replayed it a few times where his apprentice his apprentice asks if he misses the order and he's he's like i miss the idea of it um but not the truth the weakness it's like and in in that one line he like captures so much about what for me watching the prequels that i was like these guys are losers you know like like they play at this role of being this important powerful organization but it's it's hollow there's nothing there and and so that's why that line like resonated with me along with so many of his others but that one did i like a weird thrawn quote Mm, i'm always up for thrawn quotes it's it's i'm paraphrasing it's something like not every change is a step in the right direction or Mm. not every change is the right change or step in the right something like that he was just pointing out like changes in the empire and everything going. And, you know, typically people, the leaders in the empire go, we're changing, we're doing better. And he's like, not every change is one in the right direction. You just have to recognize that it's change. Things may be bad. They're fortune cookies. Yeah. No, I enjoyed Thrawn season one. I'm looking want, forward to We're going to keep calling it Thrawn. And I want Thrawn fortune cookies. They would be, I'll buy them if they exist. <laughs> Would they be blue? They could be blue. Just just typically like dark, depressing fortunes that are insightful <laughs> and strategic. Okay, I, well, Thorn, I, I, I've got one thing tell, about... Oh, sorry. Thorn would always say, tell me the odds, though. <laughs> he wouldn't <laughs> he ask you. He would know the odds. Oh, yeah, that's right. He would know him. Yeah. He would quiz his his. He might ask you just so that he could gauge wh- how good you were at figuring mm-hmm. out what the odds are. Yeah, that's he exactly might just it. ask you. Han Solo must be baffling to Thrawn. They're exactly opposite kind of characters. I think his reaction might be similar to his reaction to Ashoka when he found out that she was trained by Anakin, and he he was like, "Well, if she's anything like her master, she's going to be unpredictable and." dangerous i think he says or something like that so he's like so we just need to make sure that like the only directions she can go are ones that won't work against us it's like so he's like i can't control her i know whatever she does is going to be bad news so let's just point her in a direction that's not gonna hurt us you know not, we're not going to try to control her because she's probably going to do something that we don't expect. I think that would be his reaction with Solo, Han Solo's to say, I don't know what this guy's going to do, so let me just make sure we insulate ourselves from his unpredictability. Maybe right. there's a life lesson there. I don't I don't know. So I, I have one thing real quick that I want to bring up about Ahsoka that I want to get your guys' opinion on because this – Overall, the show was fine. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't really. I didn't really care too much for it, but it was just fine. But there was one thing in it that really irked me, and it, and uh, this is a very minor spoiler from episode one. So if you haven't seen it and you really care, uh, you know, skip ahead a little bit. The one of the main characters gets run through with a lightsaber in the first 
episode, like full on, like stabbed through the gut with a lightsaber. And they don't even really mention it at the beginning of the next episode. They're just in the hospital and they're just fine. Now, now here's, here's the thing about that, 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 that really irks me is the writers of star Wars. And I'm going all the way back. They've basically set these rules that if that happens, you're dead. Just like, that's the rule. Like it just, you're, you're, you're dead, dead. And then they just break the rule entirely. And, uh, in, 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 in my opinion with it, I, I, I'm okay. I would be okay with them doing that if they just acknowledged it or had said like, man, that was one in a million kid. Or like, man. you're super lucky to be alive. No, I, I agree with you. I, I kind of thought the same thing. Me and the, me and the wife were watching it and just going, oh my God, she's dead. Wait, no, she's not. And then you start butting heads and going, well, it cauterized the wound. I mean, you sh- technically shouldn't die, but Boiler based on prior experience, everyone <laughs> dies. Um, yeah, that's about where the gallbladder bladder is, I think, or something. So she'd be fine. Yeah, maybe needs a liver transplant. But It's like those cow holes. Great. You can fill around in the cow. <laughs> They've got that great, but but the, uh, but the whole thing is that you you, know, you created services. these rules in this universe, and yeah. then you broke them, and you didn't acknowledge yeah. that you broke them, and you well, you made these pretty strict rules because there's been a lot of other characters that you applied this rule to, including ones we really cared about, and then this new character that we don't care anything about, you break the rules on them, and you go wait wait so those ones we cared about could have been fine. And that's, I guess mm, I didn't. It was not I great. guess maybe I've not seen enough because everyone else I've seen like sabered. It wasn't like straight in, you know. I mean, like Luke lost his hand. Uh, I guess Solo. I don't remember that one. Qui Gon got stabbed right in the gut with Darth Maul's. Yeah, right in the belly button. Yeah. I guess I'll have to mm-hmm. rewatch that one because. But didn't Solo get like in his heart? I mean, there's a difference. If you got me here, yeah, I'm not going to make it. If you got me here, I mean, I got surgical scars, like half the whole bunch of pieces have been removed, removed from down there. So I'm okay. Like I survived. So I mean, it's, it's fair to acknowledge the body has certain parts that are more vital than others, (laughs) but you're right. In in terms of canon, you get stabbed with the lightsaber, you're dead. Um, Yeah. And personally, and personally, if they killed her off in the first episode and then just spent the next, Five or six with Thrawn, I, I would have been fine with that. So um, <laughs> that would have been great, right? So I, I at least want to pick pick this point up right now. It's a perfect interlude for especially a Star Wars D twenty one off. I would love nothing more than fighting reanimated stormtrooper zombies that are held together with duct tape <laughs> as Thrawn's <laughs> army. One. Um, as they're being cut down and then they're oh they're being brought back up and i was like that would be an awful d20 campaign i want to do that that (laughs) part i mean because i'm i love seeing thrawn because i'm a thrawn simp i mean it's just i I, i'm i'm there for thrawn i mean like i haven't watched rebels but i've watched youtube compilations of every scene with thrawn in it so that's some you know and i've read all the books the old books and the expanded or the original expanded universe books and then the new books. So when they showed the night troopers and how banged up they were, I thought, 
Now we're going to get to see effective stormtroopers because he's had years to train them. They've seen some shit. They're going to just become <laughs> out there and just kick ass and it's going to be intense. You know, like they that were was my better brain. Than, than the average stormtrooper. And then the that. first time in combat, I go, nope. And they haven't learned anything in 10 years. And, and I just was so disappointed. And I'm not talking about the woo magic. I just mean like 10 years of doing nothing but combat and training, they should have turned into an elite force. Like they looked like an elite force. They, in formation, they look like, they sounded like an elite force and they, they, you know, whatever. So, I mean, Ashoka has got problems. Like her behavior, I mean, I could talk for three hours just about how, petulant of a child she is in my opinion like everything about her like it's just grow up you know stop being a baby like i just wanted to reach to the screen and slap her even that first part her emotional maturity is frozen at the age of her trauma so she can't she needs therapy. Was she man. traumatized when she was thirteen? I mean, <laughs> no, when she actually, was in I the Clone Wars. Answer is right? yes, actually. With Anakin, okay. yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? This also brings up where we talked about earlier, where Star Wars can Star Wars health can cure all physical ailments. Mental health, no, yeah, <laughs> not even close. No, there's no therapy. Yeah, Therapists don't exist in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> what's her name? The the one who basically sold the farm to get to to meet her friend. I mean, think about that. Like, yeah, I'm going to make a deal with the person who might destroy the galaxy so I can see my friend again. I'm sorry. I love my friends, but if Hitler came back and said, well, if Hitler came back, I'd kill him. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I wouldn't make a deal like that. So anyway, I just, yeah, I, I enjoyed Ashoka was kind of like eating my breakfast. It's like, while I'm eating it, I enjoy it. But then by the afternoon, I've completely forgotten that it happened. So I was happy to see Thrawn again, but that was really the only thing that made it worthwhile to me. But then I'm not really, I don't consider myself a Star Wars, like, rebels none of that stuff connected to me so like i know people are freaking out over seeing the girl with the blue hair uh sabine sabine wren yeah and the other dude <laughs> her friend with the curly hair like yeah i can't i can't remember their names so now we're starting to act like some crusty star wars people now uh, we're yeah. all too old frankly so, for, yeah we're way off for, track uh, some so where where a lot of these characters came from, like the the blue, well, Durin. I can't remember how to uh, what the species was Duros. when that guy showed up in Duros. Yeah, in in the Mandalorian, like it's like cool. Like I've heard of this guy before, but I know people were you, you know losing their shit over that guy. Showing oh yeah, up, the like, bounty like, hunter guy, no the idea. cowboy. What's it? I don't even remember. Yeah, his name. yeah, yeah. If Thrawn is the only one that I really, and I think in. It probably because the first expanded universe books I read were yeah. the Heir to the Empire ones. And Thrawn just was like, he encapsulated everything that I had grown to like about the idea, which was like, he was so good and he didn't have the force. 
You know, he didn't have a band of plucky teenagers, you know, to, to, or he, well, he was fighting a band of plucky teenagers, but who had magic powers and yet he still managed to defeat them. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is, this is amazing. And then when they wiped it all out, I was like, oh, and then they brought it all back and it was in some ways even better. So I, um, I really like the character. I'm just waiting for them to destroy him in the movie, but because they can't not destroy his character. Yeah, he has to die. He has to somehow disappear. I hope he doesn't die. I th- I hope he goes back home. Oh, back to Chiss like I space? hope they don't kill him off. Well, or the the Purgatory. uncharted map, no, the unknown region, right. the, yeah. the the unknown regions, uncharted. Yeah, where just spaces. Like. Or he goes home. I mean, I'd be happy if he go went home, but they've said he can't go home because he's yeah, he got kicked, kicked out, out. Whatever. So, but yeah, sorry, no, we're way okay. off track. We could talk about harpoons, space harpoons, <laughs> space whales, um, cables right. for space well, harpoons for their no, so we have one oil. more. We have if one more topic oh. before we get into like <laughs> our tech stuff for Star Wars. <laughs> the real topics. <laughs> the, the real topics. An hour and a half later. Okay, if if you were a Jedi or Sith or a I guess Night Sister at this point. Um, what would your lightsaber so, look like? Because all all Star Wars, they all like they basically craft their own lightsaber. So there's so apparently, like? and what I found this out it? recently. Maybe it was because of the video games, the EA video games with like uh, you know um, Jedi Survivor and and all that. There's apparently like the Force essence that you imbue into your Kyber crystal impacts the color of your lightsaber so like apparently you don't really have a lot of like input into it it, it like the reason the siths are red no 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 no. that's the saber color i'm talking about the, about the handle bro oh we do the design <laughs> because like ashoka's looks like the, they're a little curved and she's got two might just them. be a hunk of fucking and metal others <laughs> and others look like Roses a, is a, a, a two look inch like a goddamn mag light. <laughs> That's a foot long. <laughs> a mag light. Others look like a nineteen seventies flashlight. Because that's what they're made from. So, so Roz's oh. is a, a a mag light that's powered by twelve D cells. <laughs> if you run out of battery, you just beat somebody with it. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think I think a multi tool would be good because, like, why not have some pliers hanging off the back and a can opener? And, uh, <laughs> a can opener, it, like a lightsaber is good for a, a handful of things, but it's not good for all. So you things. can open your bottles of blue milk. So I'm imagining like one of those like pipe wrench with a hammer on the back, and then mm-hmm. out the bottom of that is the lightsaber that beams out of it. Perfect. With the little um, Switzerland symbol on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, and it has to also open up bottles. I'm just oh, waiting for, sure. for somebody to 100%. come up with nunchuck lightsabers. I'm surprised that's not a thing. Well, yeah. I mean, Roz, Roz, okay, not nun because nunchucks have that chain. Yeah, yeah. But what if instead of the chain, it was the beam from between the pod race engines? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the so one that Jar sticks his head into. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 so it's like a lightsaber in between that kind of stretches a little bit. Actually, that'd be really cool. Someone make that into the show or something. 
I'm not going to spoil yes. it, but Ahsoka has a new-ish lightsaber, and it's kind of dumb. I'm just going to say that. Everyone goes with the modern, sleek, industrial kind of point of view. I would go with the classic, like getting the hilt engraved with something. Something, I, I don't know, nature-like, animal-like, like, like Stephen Craig's. Or a possum um, or a sarlacc. Like at the top of the hilt, the beam comes out of the sarlacc's mouth. Or Stephen Craig <laughs> riding a possum and it, the possum's screaming and that's where it comes out of its mouth. Wait, what if it was like a big Pez dispenser where the head uh, exactly. would pop back and a beam would come out? <laughs> I, I would go with something more concealed though. Like it, whether it's bracers or the Schwartz and it's on your ring, like it's bracers. Like, the about it's that. like a naked female Gamorrean just like, you know, uh, wrapped around the, the hilt, you know. Yeah. So this is, it's like Conan the Barbarian. It's but something a little more like artistic, artistic or hidden because everyone likes to rock it on their hip. Like, look at this. You don't want to advertise that. You want it concealed. Make it look like something else. A hat. I don't know. So I would I would do I want mine to be a Weller WD five fifty soldering gun. <laughs> it's almost already a lightsaber in real life. Five hundred and fifty watts of power and you know, a little tiny postage stamp at the end of it. What about a Texas lightsaber? It's just a six shooter where the beam comes out. Oh peacemaker. <laughs> <laughs> The Whataburger Saber? Well, the Whataburger Saber... It's an orange blade. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it'd be orange, yeah. Special no, be sauce orange. It would alternate between side. orange and white. Yeah, orange. <laughs> okay, do we want to move on to I don't think, uh, Chris, tech did topics? You, Chris, did you say what your lightsaber would look like? Oh, would probably start out like... Because I do like like the look of a Meglite where it's just straight, smooth, black. Um, but then with my hands constantly failing, I'd end up having to wrap it with like that tape so that the grip tape, so it'd end up being just a mess. Just wrapped in duct tape. Well, no, that like tape that they have that, you know, so that, cause like I put it all over stuff in my house cause I keep dropping yeah, things. Like, like a hockey stick. Yeah. Like I put it around anything that's glass cause otherwise I'll drop it. It's, um. Maybe they use the force to help keep their grips good. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and if we still have listeners at this point, um, <laughs> go comment on what your lightsaber would look like <laughs> in our in our discourse. All right. Now the real topics. Why everyone is here. The engineering and technical side of Star Wars. Take it away, Stephen. Okay. So for my topic this year around I picked something that I've thought about every time I've watched this movie ever since I was a young kid so in Empire Strikes Back at the beginning at the Battle of Hoth when the rebels are getting attacked there's the giant robot camel AT-ATs that come in right and they the rebels decide to use snow speeders to attack things and things are not going well their their lasers on the on the snow speeders just basically do nothing so they go and do the classic trip the camel robots with the tow cable right now i can't remember from the movie i i watched that section a few times and it doesn't seem like 
the tow cable was something that was specifically designed for that action of tripping them. It seems like it, it's sort of something they come up with on the spot. They're like, oh, okay, well, we basically, we have this technology. Let's go ahead and, and utilize it. Or like, you know, Luke and I don't remember who the co-pilot is. Uh, they're saying like, let's give this a shot, right? So it's not like the tow cable was intended as an actual weapon. It's kind of ridiculous to think that they would outfit this ship with a, with that specific thing for that very specific action of tripping a robot camel, right? The AT-ATs. So I thought it would be fun to calculate, like, does it actually make sense that this is something that they could think up on the fly in this snow speeder? Is this something, a tactic that they could come up with and be like, hey, this could actually work? So I've got a whole justification for this, uh, and I wanted to break it into two parts, talking about the cable itself and then the braking strength of the cable, because I'm going to approach this as an electrical engineer, not a mechanical engineer. Now, the thing that's interesting about it is in my research on this, it seems like the lore kind of morphs <laughs> and modifies itself to make it possible. So let me go ahead and share my screen here for you. You don't us. say they tailored the canon to justify past events. You mean totally. you mean the good thing they, that of Star Wars is really good at, which is throw a dart and then put a bullseye <laughs> under the dart. <laughs> no, no, a, a, which is not what I was expecting. So, so in my research, uh, so I think in the movie they actually call it a tow cable. And the original intent, according to the lore, is that a tow cable was literally meant for towing things. In fact, the snowspeeders were originally equipped with a tow cable to be able to hook onto stuff that is in really deep snow and just yank it out of the snow. That is the whole reason why they were equipped with this. Now, the Galactic Empire also uses uh, tow cables as a kind of down and dirty tractor cable or tractor beam. If they don't have a tractor beam, just you know, hit it with one of these things and reel it in, basically. It's a giant fishing rod in a way. But what's what's interesting is there's also a bit of lore about the actual gizmo that's at the end of the tow cable, it, which I love this about Star Wars, the fact that this tiny little pod thing that you see for like half a second in one of the movies. It's the, it's the actual thing that sticks to the side of one of the legs of the AT-ATs and grips onto it. There's lore behind that thing. So apparently Luke Skywalker's co-pilot in the back is the guy who designed that little connector thing. And he must have done it sometime in the past because the Empire is actually using it. So like one of his kind of claim to fame is the, I guess you could say the patent behind whatever that little grippy magnetic pod, they call it a fusion disc is. But yeah, something that, that exists for half a second in a movie has like a paragraphs about it online. But regardless, I think it also exists such that they could justify this whole scene in the movie, which makes for fantastic cinema, right? Like who, who wasn't like a young kid just screaming at the, at the screen saying like, yeah, that's amazing as they trip the camels. So on top of it being called a tow cable, it's also this device that shoots the cables also called a power harpoon or even a magnetic harpoon. 
uh, depending on its usage. So the argument here, or the question is, can a T-47 snowspeeder actually deliver a tripping cable to an AT-AT? So the way I initially went about approaching this problem is just like years in the past, I downloaded a 3D model of an AT-AT and scaled it appropriately so I could start taking measurements on it. And to kind of make things easy to comprehend, if you just take an AT-AT and put all four legs straight, you can draw a rectangle around the legs to kind of estimate the length of cable that would be needed to complete one wrap around the legs, just to make the math easier on it. So by doing that, I, you can estimate a rectangle around all four legs to have a length of 13 meters about and a width of about five meters on that. So then taking a handful of screenshots directly from the movie uh, and knowing like the, the length of a snow speeder, we can actually back calculate the width of the cable itself. So a snow speeder is about 5.3 meters long. And then comparing those relative lengths in the movie to the cable, I, I found that the cable itself is about 0.03 meters, which is 1.18 inches. And I'm just going to make it easier and go with one and a quarter inches wide. And you'll see why later it kind of makes sense with steel cable. So the amount of wraps that was required to actually topple an ATAT, counting however many it was before the AT actually fell down, was six. So it took six full revolutions for the snow speeder to go around to actually get the ATAT into a point where it would uh, it would topple. So a handful of numbers to start piecing things together. If you take six wraps around that uh, that rectangle that I drew in uh, for the for the length of one perimeter, you actually get in a, a total cable length of a slightly over a thousand feet, one thousand and fifty six feet, and that's the minimum amount of cable as shown in the movie. Frankly, the the snow speeder would have to carry a bit more than that, but we'll go with that number right now. So 1,056 feet is necessary to complete the six wraps on it. And then, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the cable width, uh, I, I calculated 1.18, but I'm just gonna go with one, uh, one and a quarter inch uh, width of cable. Now, if, if we just take steel as, like steel cable as our characteristics for this cable, which I think is a reasonable assumption because the, uh, the lore actually calls this flex steel. So I'm just gonna use the character characteristics of steel for it. Uh, we can calculate that the weight of the cable ends up being nearly 4,000 pounds of steel cable in the back of a snow speeder. And it actually takes up a, a volume of 0.22 meters cubed, which you know, initially doesn't sound like a lot, but nearly a quarter of a meter cubed is actually a pretty hefty amount of space. And that's, that's the amount of volume this would take up if it could perfectly consume a volume. We're talking about a cable. You have to, you have to roll it up. You have to wrap it up. You have to put it in a, a snow speeder somehow. So keep those numbers in mind. We're, we're almost talking about a quarter of a meter cubed, and we're talking about 4,000 pounds of weight. So I found a, a really cool picture that I, I mentioned this earlier, that is like a, 
a cross-section cutaway of a snow speeder. And I just wanted to kind of figure out like, okay, so at a minimum, we need a thousand feet of this steel cable. Where is it going to go? Yeah. Inside where where of the hell does it speeder? fit? Exactly. So, so here's the thing that's, that's interesting. As I mentioned earlier, the, it, this cutaway shows the back of a snow speeder and almost all of the volume of the back of the snow speeder is the repulsor generator itself. The engine you could say of the snow speeder. Uh, so, so really the only place that this cable would fit is effectively kind of at the knees or at the feet of the rear gunner in a snow speeder, just at the <laughs> back there. So we're just going to assume that that's where it goes right now. And we're going to kind of figure out, can the snow speeder actually hold? What if it was like a spider? I was about to say, it could be 3D printed. It went. But also look at your image. It says, I love it. It says the label on the toe. It says harpoon and toe cable. And then just points to the Harpoon. It's like, so somehow the cable's supposed to be inside there. It's like, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> right. So, you I don't know, know, this and is starting to smell a little These images will be already. available on the website, I assume, or Discus or something. Yeah, typically every year we upload our, cool. our justification and our data so we'll, we can make this available. So, kind of actually to what you guys were talking about, like if it 3D printed at the time of the cable being created, right? Well, how much would it have to exit the vehicle as the snow speeder was yeah. making its revolutions? Would so I, I actually paused the video and, and um, measured the arc that a snow speeder makes in one of the scenes of the video. And surprisingly, it, perhaps this is just what worked for when they were doing the stop motion or whatever, but it actually, the snow speeder encompasses almost 180 degrees. You could almost estimate it as exactly half of a rotation around one of the AT-ATs in exactly two seconds. And given some lengths that I measured, I know generally the radius that the snowspeeder took around it. So it's pretty easy to say that the snowspeeder encompassed a, a half of a circle arc in two seconds, and I know the radius. So I, I could easily find out that the snowspeeder was only going about 100 miles an hour as it went around the AT-AT, which snowspeeders have a top speed of 1,100 kilometers an hour. So it was basically crawling as it went around. The thing to consider, though, is as the snowspeeder's going around the uh, the ATAT that cable has to whip out the back at a hundred miles an hour, right? So you have to have this inch and a quarter cable exiting the back of this snowspeeder at a hundred miles an hour, which is pretty damn fast. So maybe that's actually why it was going slow, because if it went any faster, maybe that wasn't even possible. So in thinking about like, okay, how do we compress that much cable into that much area? One of the most efficient ways of storing that would actually just be to roll up the cable basically onto a spool. Uh, so I, I found some online like calculators that will help you uh, or, or give you dimensions on, you know, if you have X length and this type of cable, then what kind of spools. And I, and I played around with this for a bit to kind of see what size of spools that this cable would have to roll up onto. And 
it's not looking terribly good because the, the, the spool that, that I was able to get that seemed the most reasonable would have to be three feet in length and have a two foot diameter in order to just encompass a thousand feet of this cable. So not terribly, uh, in, in taking the images that we saw earlier, there's nowhere near enough room to actually shove this stuff into the back of a, uh, snow speeder. This also brings up an interesting problem though, because if you have that much cable on a spool, you have to get that spool turning and spinning to spit it out at a hundred miles an hour minimum. Right? So I, I figured it would be fun to figure what is the moment of inertia of taking a bit of cable that's at rest and it almost instantaneously has to begin spinning to eject the cable off of that, that, uh, that spool, right? So if we're talking about 4,000 pounds of steel cable and you have to launch it off of this spool, like what would the moment inertia be on that? And I, and I ended up calculating that to be about 332 kilogram meter squared. That's a pretty hefty number in terms of moment of inertia. For example, on an average car, the moment of inertia of a wheel on a car is between 0.4 and 0.6 kilograms per meter, kilogram meter squared. So, so in other words, you'd have to have effectively a gigantic explosion inside of the snow speeder to get this cable spool spinning to spit the cable out. And we're talking about 4,000 pounds worth of cable. It would, something like that would almost certainly make the snow speeder, you know, do cartwheels if you had to get that, that, that kind of spool spinning that fast. So I'll, I know I'm keep kind of beating a dead horse with this in terms of like, yeah, it's obviously none of this makes any sense, but I just wanted to see like how ridiculous this could get. So can, so can you imagine the gyroscopic effect of the yeah, exactly, spools right. immediately yeah. spinning up? Your, your speeder would <laughs> jerk and twist just from doing it. Oh in yeah. Air. No, yeah, it's yeah. got a, uh, and it, it's got a counterweight that spins the opposite direction. <laughs> Maybe that's what they use the thermal detonator for, right? No, clearly, this is a vat of the same shit that Spider-Man shoots out of his web slingers. Or, or it's like nylon, right? It's like a liquid goo that just like turns into a filament as you draw it out. That, that's the only answer here. Well, okay, so I, I was thinking about it, and, and if you had like – say if you had uh, like a box that you could neatly lay the cable down in such that – you could shoot it out and it would just unravel itself. You didn't have to move the entirety of the cable. It's just whatever was pulling off the top. That might be reasonable, right? That That is possible. However, we can, we can see from the back of the snow speed, there's just no room to put this. And this is the minimum amount of cable that we counted for this to, to happen. So this is starting to look like myth busted here. Uh, in this situation. So, and, and to go back the beginning where you said that they basically came up with this theory on this, this tactic on the fly, right? Would you even go out into battle with extra spools of wire? Right. Like I'm just thinking no like if I'm a pilot gearing up, like, okay, what's my loadout going to be? Oh, make sure you put the thousand pounds of steel cable on the back, just in case take all the fuel and the extra ammo out and, and put the thousand pound cable in there. 4,000 pounds. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost, 
it's almost ridiculous. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's it's not going to happen. But let's just pretend. Let's just take off our engineer hat and say, okay, let's say they were able to deliver the cable and actually get six wraps around an ATAT's legs. Would these cables actually even be able to do anything and actually trip the, the thing? So let's let's take a look at it. And, and I'm just going to use simple double E mechanical numbers here, uh, which I looked up the breaking strength of uh, steel cable, inch and a quarter steel t- cable. But but first, let's let's look at... According to lore, an ATAT weighs of 1,000 tons. And uh, just taking a quick assumption that a third of all of that weight is in the legs. So each leg itself weighs 83.3 tons. So in order for an ATAT to walk, they have to have engines or motors or whatever they use strong enough to be able to whip around 83.3 tons. So in other words, these things have a gigantic power source and an enormous uh, capability to be able to move that much mass. So the the breaking strength of an inch and a quarter steel cable is 64.6 tons. So that's that's fairly con- uh, considerable, but let's look at some other stuff here. So our cable was 1.18 inches. So it, it, we, just to make math easier... I can um, round that. I'm just going to round it down to about 60 tons. And if there was six wraps, let's just make the assumption that all six wraps were perfect. Like they're just stacked on top <laughs> of each other. And when the thing, de- the when the ATAT decides to move, all of them are under equal tension and not no pinch points or anything like that. So we can just pretend like those six cables are one cable with a total cumulative strength of 360 tons. So 300, it would take 360 tons for that, that one massive cable to effectively break. One of the numbers I found when researching the lore is that an ATAT has a top speed of no joke, 37 miles an hour. That's now an ATAT. An ATAT is not that big at the end of the day. It really isn't that big. So having that thing go 37 miles an hour. Now, consider this. The way an ATAT walked, if you watch the movie, it moves one leg at a time. It doesn't, it's not like a dog with like multiple legs moving. It does one, then another, then another. If you think of something that big traveling 37 miles an hour, those legs are flying. And those legs are, we're talking about them weighing 83.3 tons each. So, in, in my opinion, it's not unreasonable for a device that large to have a design margin big enough. If, if, if the engine had to be able to move those legs fast enough for that thing to move 37 miles an hour, the ability for that motor or engine or whatever it is to overcome an additional 360 tons of force would be absolutely nothing. So in my opinion... Even if a snowspeeder would be able to deliver six wraps of this cable to an ATAT, it would snap immediately. There would be, it wouldn't even be a joke. And actually, I think that kind of, even though it meant for or resulted in some really cool cinema, it would have kind of been funny if it just snapped and we're like, oh, well, we have absolutely nothing, right? Because that's sort of like the the whole feel of the uh, of Empire Strikes Back, where it's just like the rebels are like, ah, we. We have absolutely nothing you, here. You would have seen the snow speeders just like twang and 
slingshot like a rubber band around from even trying to do that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. Well, they well, they do eventually. Yeah. I mean, they have to release the cable. They have like a very particular moment. But uh, but yeah, I think it is kind of funny because in in every possible way, this does not make sense given all of the numbers. So as a fun kind of thought experiment, what would you have to change about things to make it work given the, you know, fixed things like the size of the cable and, and whatnot? It would have to be a very, very magical cable that was it just had ridiculous strength, like unbelievable strength. And maybe that is possible because according to the lore, flex steel, the cable itself, if uh, they weave it together to create the armor for starships. So this is actually basically the hull of most starships is just woven cable, which I, I'm sure it's impregnated with something to make it. it yeah. But regardless, it's, it, all of the numbers don't line up, which, which I think is fun because last year my numbers actually did line up with the topic I was going at saying like, yeah, this was actually possible. This one is completely ridiculous. I just like the, I, I just never thought about having a store or that cable. And that's the first time it blows up this whole idea. Yeah. If you There's ever look no at uh, like whaling ships, you'll see they do what, Steven mentioned, which is the of like a box, and then it's all kind of spooled up on the on the carefully laid out into the box. Which to me, the real elephant in the room is why do they have snow speeders or speeders designed to deliver harpoons at long ranges? Like harpoons, and not just short, because tow cables don't need to be that long. To me, I think the Republic is secretly running these as whaling vessels and then they adapted them <laughs> to become snow speeders trying to catch the uh, the space whales that go between galaxies mm -hmm. hyperspace they use, whaling they use their oil for um perfume or something that's what drives the hyperdrives <laughs> yeah but yeah even if you did like carbon fiber you know like the stuff they talk about they dream about making space elevators out of you're right like there's not enough room and even if you said well they wove it in real time which would be miraculous to build a 3D printer that could extrude at that speed. Then they got to store the materials, you know, the components. Like it would probably be some kind of AB type of thing where, you know, like I, I would just, imagine it have to be JB some weld. kind of AB. Yeah, <laughs> not, maybe not JB well, but like, you know, mon carbon fiber within some kind of like resin and laser Boom. to, I mean, it'd be. Star Wars space magic, but still, then you would need a tank of each of the components. So I don't know. You're, I, well, and even then, I would not surprise me if you calculated the amount of material needed. It, it would probably still encompass all of the free area within the snowspeeder. Like the snowspeeder would be so specifically designed to deliver just that cable that it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it can't and, make and it once again, bigger because like, unless it was filling it with air, the length is the length, the size is the size. It's like, unless, unless somehow the particles can be like, it's like expanded foam, but steel, you know, uh, 
you would still need a material that was taking up the same amount of room unless you could somehow like puffed steel or something, you know, which oh air is exactly considered a <laughs> reinforcing agent usually. No, this one gets chalked up to Star Wars magic, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Star Wars magic. <laughs> All right. That so should be the good topic. final rating, rating. You should say, is it magic or is it science? Oh, we'll magic. start that now, Hiron. So this, no. is, this is magic. <laughs> well, that's why I think... We have one magic, we, Steven's magic. I think Chris that's magic. why we say it's like Star Wars isn't science fiction. It's science fantasy. You know, at least a lot of people say that. I, I would agree. Next topic, Hiron, what you got? So I mentioned my most under-recognized friend, Skippy. Not Skippy the Magnificent from Craig Allenson's X-Force that releases tomorrow, mm. but Skippy the R5 astromech droid. I took a problem from Mando Season 3, Episode 2. It's Chapter 18. And um, he basically goes to Tatooine, gets gets R5-D4 as an astromech droid. They you mean the do- only planet that ever exists in Star Wars? Yeah. Exactly. It is the only planet that exists in a giant galaxy far, far away. So he he picks up Skippy. I'm just going to keep calling him Skippy because we know his unofficial, non-canonical lore. That's his name, their name, whatever. But he gets to Mandalore, and he Jinjar needs to go in the mines, and he's like, hey, go do some air samples. Um, I want to make sure it's not toxic. Skippy's a little... Uh, hesitant, but he leaves the ship, goes out, makes 90 degree turn, goes into the cave. Few seconds, movie seconds go by and they lose contact. And um, Mando has to go in the cave, check out what's happening. And eventually they find him. He gets ambushed and, you know, Skippy's just laying there just fine. He's just freaked out, laying on his side. They lost contact with him, which got me thinking, what is frequency does Skippy operate at? And how does RF propagation, you know, work in a cave or a mine? And it's not that difficult of an engineering problem to solve, but in going through this, I think I found things that are a little more interesting in that respect. So this is the context I described, you know, you're looking for Mando's ship over here. He, he, you see Skippy just kind of right there, moving out in the corner. He goes in, hangs a right hook, and disappears, and Mando has to go after him. And so this is him entering the cave, walks further into the cave, and then he gets attacked by um, these, oh, I would say uh, dwarf and... Cave troll? Weird. Uh, what are the troll creatures in the caves? Airless yetis. Yeah. You know, and, and Mando's got to fight him, kills him with the Darksaber, and then he picks up uh, R5 and everything's good, right? But it doesn't change the fact that from the ship to the cave entrance, cave entrance to the cliff inside the cave, somewhere radio communications are lost. And they're not trying to talk. He's just tracking them with a blip. Just a very simple, like, what's your location? Where are you at? And he, he falls off the radar. So what do you do? Oh, wait, it, it skipped over. So I started with, like, academically, what frequency is Skippy using? And if you dig into canon, you know, I have some basic, like, yeah, if you have a monopole, frequency is C over lambda. But 
I, I dig into to the Canon stuff, and it's like, oh, these specific units are 1.29 meters with an antenna, 0.97 meters without an antenna, do some basic subtraction. 32 centimeters is the size of the antenna on one of these astromech droids. Plug it in the equation, reverse engineer a little bit, and okay, so at a quarter wavelength, we're looking at 234 megahertz, half a wavelength, 468 megahertz, full wavelength, 937.5 megahertz. So ballpark, this is the first thing I found interesting. That is similar to POXAG or FLEX, which is what pagers use. It is what, you know, if you're not familiar with pagers, it's the, um, you know, you go get food and they give you a little food puck at a restaurant that starts buzzing. Those all use POXAG. Or unfortunately at... um, hospitals and and first aid care centers they give doctors those they little messenger boxes they're like pagers but they're not real pagers um they all use poxag and they do that because it's very reliable it's uhf it gets around interference but in case cell phone or text messaging fails you know it's 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 a pretty uhf frequency that it's pretty reliable and I'm like, okay, that's weird. It falls into something that we know. Um, and then something that would make sense if you wanted to have comms with someone going into a cave or a mine, right? So that's just a basic answer. So I'm like, where where would it fail, right? So let's start mapping this out. We go from the ship to the cave entrance and then the cave entrance to where the, the RF cuts out, where the comms cut out. And, you know, through a lot of watching, counting, you know, watching uh, Jinjar and walk and counting his strides, two steps in a stride, I figure out, okay, so to get from the ship to the cave entrance is about 68 steps. Going through the cave entrance to the cliff, 60 steps. Um, And doing some basic math, average step length of a person. I started figuring out, okay, here's how far he walked. Here's how far he he got to the cave entrance before making that 90-degree turn. And then I was going to start doing research on RF propagation in a mine. Little did I know, this study existed. I'll call out the name of it at first, but Congress passed the Mine Improvement and New Emergency Response Act because miners were getting trapped in caves. So they did a study on sending robots through caves, and what radio communications were best used. I'm not making this up. Let's pretend this is Skippy. <laughs> yeah, they, it's, it's a primitive Skippy. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay, I don't have to model and sim this. I can actually reuse a lot of this, but it was kind of cool. Um, they, they, they took a, a remote control system, have it go straight, make a right turn, 90 degrees, and they used a variety of frequencies, 455, 915, and then like 2450, 5800, higher uh, frequency things. But the first two, 455 and 915, I'm like, that's ballpark what I reverse engineered the antenna length to probably operate at. Okay, and they had different uh, environmental scenarios. One of them was a coal mine safety test area where it, it basically looked the same. So I was like, okay, you know, I can reuse this. This is this is like ballpark the same. So converting those, looking at, you know, okay, 52 meters up, 46 meters in, 
that reflected the the experimentation study very, very closely. And it showed that after you make that right hook turn and going down the, the side shaft of a mine, that around oh, 85 to 90 meters, once you make that hook in at 50 to 60 meters, you get a significant dB loss and it falls below what is normally acceptable for any kind of comms around 95 meters. Mando walked 97 meters. And it's one of those situations where I'm like, this math is matching up way too perfectly. Uh, especially at the potential frequencies that Skippy could operate at. So, you know, in conclusion, if you look at the antenna of Skippy, he's most likely at 468 or 937 megahertz. Based on this study, it cuts out exactly where it cut out in the episode of Mando Season 3. And this is what made me think. You know, the last time I did a a deep dive and reverse engineering and and kind of proof out on something RF-related or wavelength-related, when I was looking at, like, Mando's power scope and and thermal imaging scopes, looking at, like, directed energy and optics, physics, it matched up perfectly. And this time, it matches up perfectly. So I sit here and wonder, are the tech writers on The Mandalorian, do they have some kind of EE with an RF background working with them? Because in both cases, it matches an existing case study perfectly. Or is it a crazy coincidence? I don't know, but it works. Can you imagine, Hiron, where like, they're doing the blocking for like Mando walking and they're like, no, he needs to take one more step. Then he's, he is at 97 meters down this shaft where it will stop working. You have an EE staring at their shoes going like, no, he needs to move three feet to the right. So the RF propagation fits in this prop, you know, (laughs) exactly. My, my, my guess is they're getting lucky, but they're getting very lucky. I would say it's probably, it's it's not a coincidence, but not for the reasons that you think it is. Like the antenna looks like it does because they probably are either using an actual antenna prop, you know, as the prop, or they like looked at a picture of antenna and said, "Yeah, it's got to look like that." And then mm-hmm. so they just happen to use a like because th- those guys like they they just look at other things for inspiration. So they probably went, that's a cool looking antenna, put it on the droid. And then, or knowing the original droid that was made in the seventies, it might've been an antenna off of something and they just shoved it right onto the thing. And then the distance for all we know, like, cause those guys have, if you've ever seen like any of the grips or any of those people, they all carry FM radios. Like they all have FM radios on their hips. You'll see them all the time. So they probably are using those things all the time. And they know like, if I get this far away, it it doesn't work. So it's like probably embedded in their head that like, that's the range of the thing. Like, he's go about a hundred meters down this tube and he'll lose. And alternatively, and I did try just, just out of curiosity, I Googled like how far does a radio work in a cave? Cause I could see a writer going to that detail of research Mm-hmm. And then like saying, okay, good enough, whatever, you know, like, like not doing the math, you know, like I didn't get a simple, like 
I Googled it and it didn't like pop up saying 90 meters, you know, or something like that. So, um, so that didn't work, but, um, but my guess, by is, the way, here's, here's the full white paper without the paywall. Ha ha ha. I triple <laughs> You can go to hell. Um, <laughs> it's a gov. It shouldn't have a, it should not. And that's why I'm like, I'm a, ta- I'm a taxpayer. Yeah. I get these studies for free. Um, Another thing I didn't poke fun at, qualitatively, if you look at Skippy and look at the size of his antenna and realize that he's only three and a half feet tall, the proportions don't work out. But quantitatively, if you look at the canon and what it says, it is accepted as here's the, the height of an R5 astromech droid and here's the height of their antenna, it has those values. But... Just looking at it, I'm like, well, if that antenna is actually 32 centimeters on the top left, there is no way that this thing, if it's basically 12 inches, that would make Skippy like seven feet tall. Hmm. That doesn't work. But for whatever reason, the RF physics and engineering work out. And um, happenstance, I don't know. But... It's weird that in both cases, especially looking at waveforms and RF, they've worked out perfectly in Mandalorian. And um, I mean, it I looks just like, want to buy a beer for their tech writer. I don't know. I mean, it looks a lot like this. It's like a. I remember when, like in the we had like cell phone antennas that were. I'd have to look at it. I mean, I think I have some here that are about that size. But that would be my guess is that when they were designing the droid, they just were like. Here's an antenna. Pretty much. They're like, hey, I found something on the floor. Glue it on. It was, it was probably a antenna that broke off a of radio, off a of UHF <laughs> radio. <laughs> well, the, there's a difference between let me just find like a coat hanger and glue it to this thing uh, and let me actually purchase what is an antenna and then stick it on. Uh, and I think that's what, what Chris is getting at where – they probably actually had an antenna antenna that's already predefined for this. And then they glue that on. So, so that, I guess that's one step towards like, okay, th- that does make sense. But then having the exact proportions for distances walked in the corner turned and everything, that's, that's coincidental. It's very weird. I don't want to give them enough credit to be like, Oh, you found this study and you're like robots, RF communication going into a mine. They're like, I'm going to make this match perfectly. I'm like, I, well, I wouldn't do that. And well, I care about this. stuff. A lot of those people, like <laughs> a lot of the writers and stuff. I mean, we know they're sloppy at times, but we also know they know a lot of like Sick. people who are smarter than they are. So they go, yeah, I would like, they might call up a friend and go, how long, how far would this work? And I tell them, they go, I don't know, 95 meters. Okay, cool. Thanks. You know, because okay. like Star Trek was known for that. A lot mm-hmm. of engineers would show the writers or producers stuff they were working on because they were fans of the show. And then the writers would put that stuff in the show. And then it became like the circular loop that people were inspired by things they saw on track, which was inspired by things they saw in people's research labs. So, Right. So I, I look at this, I'm like, it's close enough to where they should employ us and yeah, everybody wins. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. But that's what I found. 
I at least found it more entertaining uh, when I tried to dig in and do the research than actually find out what frequency mm-hmm. Skippy operates at. But I find that interesting, and he's a big, overgrown pager. <laughs> <laughs> you he know, also, I, I know exactly how it how how it panned out. The writers were, were were sitting down to write that episode, and they said, "I know there's these five guys that meet one day out of every year, <laughs> and they might pick this one thing, so we have to get it right." They just we mercilessly right. mock the shit out of everything we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm also I I I liked because it's the same droid that then takes on the mice droids right or mouse droid mm-hmm. and then which became mice droids so that part I like too. I take so about so this is Stevens it doesn't work. This one science possible not magic. <laughs> yeah, science possible. Totally, yeah. sure. Yeah. Math checks out. Yep, one magic, one science. <laughs> all right chris you're up oh um yeah and i didn't do any super cool math problems but when i watched the new thrawn series um like i said that they <laughs> named ashoka for some reason um i love the thrawn series i'm not going into too many spoilers although we've already gone into a bunch of spoilers from it um, as a kind of ticking clock or background ticking clock they had they're loading cargo like the deal is for those that aren't familiar with the background from the animated series Thrawn a bunch of space whales grab Thrawn in a ship and send him to another galaxy so these folks want to bring him back and they're ready to bring him back, but he made a deal and he can't come back until he's loaded up all the cargo. And the cargo, I'm not going to, they haven't said what's in the cases, so I'm not going to presume to know what's in them. But the only way I can describe them is say they're coffin shaped. I'm not saying anything about what's inside them, but that's the <laughs> shape they are. And they also float on their own. And had I known we had a chat, I would have shared a picture. But, um, oh, I couldn't have because Disney makes it impossible to grab screenshots from the show. So I grabbed, well, I, I paused the screen at certain points so that I could count how many of these, let's call them cargo containers, but they're not, you know, not what you think of as a cargo container, which is like a huge container. It's just a coffin-sized cargo container. And... The way they were stacked, it ended up being about 5,800 to 6,000 of these cargo modules that they had to stack up on the main deck of the Star Destroyer. So I was like, in my brain, I was like going, three days to load the cargo? Man, that, because, oh yeah, because that's the other part I didn't mention. As he's walking in, he says, you know, per my agreement with the Night Mothers, we have to load all this cargo before we leave. And she's like, I've seen the catacombs. It's, you know, it'll take three cycles. So, and even at that scene, they were already starting to load it. So they weren't messing around. They started loading it. Now, if we just assume a cycle is a day, which I know is a big assumption. And then I counted how many there were when they were done loading it. And it was somewhere between 5,800 to 6,000 cargo modules. So if we take the bigger number and then you say, well, 72 hours... And that means they were loading about 
I'll round up and say 84, 84 of them per hour, which is like 1.4 minutes per container, which isn't, doesn't, I, after I saw that, I was like, well, I guess that's not bad because that's not even counting time for breaks or anything like that. Um, or it's the empire. You don't take breaks. Yeah. And, and I no. mean, they float. So it's not like someone, it was taking like two people, but they were basically just pushing it in a position. They weren't, they weren't like lugging it around. Um, they didn't have to forklift it. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, but in the scene, it wasn't just two dudes doing everything. They showed at least 20 people that were working on the loading. And then, so if you take that, that uh, 84 per hour, but then divide it by 20 and then suddenly the time is like, that didn't seem so efficient. And then there were a lot more people than the 20 that I mentioned. Like they potentially had hundreds of people who, who could be working on this. So the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, geez, if it was that important to load all that cargo up, why not send like hundreds of people? Now, the only part I don't know is how deep and complicated the catacombs were. So it's not like they were sitting on a loading dock to just be moved to another loading dock. So maybe the time was eaten up by digging through caverns, trying to find all these things and then move them. I mean, the deep, the deep warehouses. Yeah. But I still think like three days seems like too much time or more time than necessary to do it. And then uh, just on a whim, I Googled like, how long does it take them to unload a cargo ship? Granted, they've got cranes and stuff, but you know, an average cargo vessel contains 10,000 cargo containers. And if, if needed, they can unload it within a day. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'm overanalyzing, but that's the theme of this. I think like I think the Empire could have picked it up their pace a bit and gotten that loading done in two days. And if they had, then the story would have turned out differently. So yeah, that's well perhaps one of the things that makes Thrawn so so much of a formidable foe is that he is he knows business well enough to be able to pad the numbers appropriately for for tasks like loading 5,000 cargo modules. <laughs> yeah. So that was the only like part that kind of kept sticking in my head. I was trying to think of any other like science-y stuff, engineering stuff, and really nothing stood out, which I, again, I enjoyed this series, but yeah, from an engineering standpoint, like for example, when you see the Star Destroyer, it's clear that they've had to replace a bunch of panels with this golden looking material, but they don't explain what it is, what kind of material it is. It's obviously not gold. A lot of people are like, oh, it's gold. It's like, that would be dumb to, to replace panels on a spaceship with gold. I mean... But it's a pretty sweet looking Star Destroyer. Oh, it, it looks sweet. And <laughs> I, I'm just saying it must be some kind of material that's native to that galaxy. But this is not gold because you would never build a spaceship out of gold unless... Well, I guess that would be another topic for another time. Is like, what would you actually, what would be the properties of a spaceship built out of gold? Like if you had your repulsor lifts, it's not like it's, the weight is going to be a problem. Would gold block radiation? Does it share that property uh, of blood? Yeah. Yeah. It's very dense, but it, it still depends on how thick 
of gold. And so you don't you don't want to be making gigantic thick 24 karat gold plating on the outside of your ship. What was the generic physicist response? And- everything reflects radiation <laughs> and everything emits well, radiation. <laughs> So, I, to what degree? So, I would have loved to know more about, like, I mean, that's that part of me, which I would have been happy for a whole season that just talked about, like, those um, car, those shows where they fix up a car, except it's a Star Destroyer, and you're, you know, you're using parts you find on the local planet. Hit my destroyer. <laughs> yo, yo, dog, I put a Star Destroyer in your Star Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that no, it's yo dog. I put a Death Star on your Star Destroyer in episode nine. Yeah, yeah. it's West Galaxy Choppers. West Galaxy. <laughs> I, I'm thinking like uh, a, you know how they have like gold plated like guns, like a gold plated Deagle. Oh yeah, gold plated Star Destroyer. One well, like a, it's a tiger, tiger stripe. Yeah, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's not clear that it's actually gold because obviously different galaxy it just happens to be gold colored. But anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then the other thing I had a thought cuz early on we were talking about how I, I had a thought the other day of like the whole thing about Grand Moff Tarkin having to justify his use of the Death Star to the Empire bureaucracy. And then I had another thought and I didn't run this one through chat chippity but the Death Star weakness. Like imagine you're an engineer, you've looked at the designs and you've said, damn, there's a problem here. We got to put something in front of this um, thermal vent or whatever it was. The, this thermal vent that's as wide as a womp rat. Yeah. And you, uh, and you, if someone shoots a, th- uh, a uh, proton torpedo down so there, being it's the going to blow up. Dutiful engineer, the Empire engineer that you are, you go report it to your manager, whatever. And in my mind, the first thing, it would never happen because the first thing they would say, do you think you're smarter than Galen Erso? And the poor engineer would be like, well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I found a problem with it. And then they'd say, who are you to question the work of Galen Erso? And then assuming someone even took them seriously, then the bureaucracy would mean that like you'd have to fill out a Jira ticket or whatever space Jira to note the problem <laughs> and then he would have to get an approval from a manager to work on it and then he would put together the fix and of course because it's not a software patch it's you know a physical thing he would have to then the ticket would have to be forwarded to whatever department is going to build this thing and then well no it's got to go to procurement first to get quotes yeah and then, well, and being a government project, you probably have to use union labor as well. So, and then, like by the time it got approved and installed, it you know wouldn't matter anyways. It just started being pieces. So, I'm sure engineering ethics is not really high on the list of importance for uh, for the yeah. empire. I, no. I'm imagining like there's a a video, uh, like a, a training video. It's like engineering ethics in the empire. <laughs> See, to Does me, it destroy good to me. If you see something, don't say something to me. See, it would be more insidious. It would be like those places where you have like the training, but you know that no one cares, you know, or 
I shouldn't say you know that no one cares. That sounds terrible. It's just like, I bet they've had to slog X number of hours every month that they did for safety training and this training. They did that. And then, like I said, but the bureaucracy, it's, it's, it's insidious. Like then Darth Vader walks around choking everybody to death. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then, then some poor HR person has to try to explain it, you know, or, or has to send an email to Vader saying, oh yeah, in the future, could you try to, uh, not kill people, you know, um, Darth Vader, you've been, uh, Scheduled to take anger management classes. <laughs> the, the number of EEO complaints against Darth Vader is not good. <laughs> so anyways, that was another thought I had. It was just that even if you were some brilliant upcoming engineer who spotted it, you'd never get it done because the bureaucracy would stop you or just people would say. Because Galen was like well-respected. Like people thought he was a brilliant. Well, he was brilliant, I guess. He came up with the... Or some part of the Death Star laser. So there's an episode. I think is it in Blue Moon? Not Robot Chicken, but the uh, think Blue guy. Harvest. Family Guy. And Blue Harvest. Blue Harvest. Is it Blue Harvest where cause is Stewie Vader? Yes. Okay. Cause there's a there's a part where they actually someone finds the weakness and 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 Stewie's like, oh, that sounds serious. We need to fix it. And then they're like, well, we'll get someone out right away, a contractor right away. He's like, mm, let's get some quotes first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that reminds me of the robot chicken episode where they're in the detention center and he's like, he's on the radio going, uh, I was I was told to install a reactor or something like that. And then he's like, there's not a reactor on the design. And then they start calling people and then it's like... Yeah, they call the engineers and designers. And then, and then hey, all of a sudden Steve, Vader comes the- on the line and he's like, what? And then he's like, reactor? Nope. Uh, hold on. You know, and then he's checking the print and he's like, okay, uh, yeah, I'm not doing it justice. You'll have to Google it and watch yeah. it. It's very At the, good. the end of that scene, he's like, Vader's like, hmm, we could put a reactor there. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he signs off. And he's like, well, time to build this reactor. And it was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was it. So bureaucracy and and slow cargo loading. Maybe they're related. It'd be like a five-year-old like GitHub pull request that just kind of died off. <laughs> yeah, especially if the person who found it isn't like, that's not his department. Can you even imagine? You know, like he's just, notice it in the design and then he's like telling some other manager that he found a problem probably wouldn't go anywhere in the empire wouldn't go anywhere in the new republic either but that's a different story as bureaucracy just can't get out of its own way basically i mean like that was the a thing i've enjoyed about these new series is to me it colors the republic in the light that they would be in like you know like even when they're they're not perfect (laughs) well even and it's not even that they're not they're not evil they're just like oblivious you know like if if anything they're even more incompetent than the empire is well they're having to figure it out and quick but like like there's a they also don't in ashoka where they're like i don't know if it was a hyperdrive or reactor where they're like well, why are you guys working on that? And, and he's like, yeah, 
you we don't have any ships that use a drive that big. And he's like, it's for... And the manager's like, I don't know what it's for. And then he asks the droid, and the droid's like, it's classified. And he's like, uh, I'm in charge, you know? And they're like, and she's, she's the general. It's like, uh, and then, you know, people, no one can figure out why it was built or what it was doing there or scavenged or whatever. And it's just like things are, the, the remnants of the empire are able to do things simply through the incompetence of, and bureaucracy of the, uh, new Republic. So my it, cue it, says to do this. So I'm going to keep doing that. Well, it, it, it's kind of like the, the, turned on. <laughs> the the rebels basically, in a way, purchased a company, and all the people who knew how to run that company quit, yeah. and they inherited that, and that's sort of where they're at in Ahsoka. Although, even like in Ashoka, like in that same scene, I think they said like half the people were left over from the Empire, and he's kind of like, eh. You know, like, well, he's like, we we need him to get the work done. Yeah. So, and he's like, let's just kind of trust him. Paycheck comes from the empire. Paycheck comes from the republic. From their perspective, it doesn't like they don't care. So, it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's it for me. Yep. So, so are we going to call that science or magic? Uh, real life. Real life. <laughs> <laughs> that human condition, oh, right? Well, the loading scene, I guess I would call that real, sadly real, because they're going slower <laughs> than they should have been able to go. So, yeah. Sadly real. <laughs> oh, that's my vote. I mean, you guys can. Oh, uh, no, I agree. I agree. How fast could the pyramids be built if the rocks all had repulsors on them? <laughs> That'd be a good question. <laughs> what if aliens built the pyramids? Then they right, so didn't tell us why. Oh, so. oh yeah, didn't tell us why. Unless yeah. it was just a goof. They were like, let's build these things and then <laughs> we're gonna, and we're then gonna they prank, just forgot. We're gonna prank the earthlings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just fun. <laughs> we, we we find civilizations all over the galaxy and there's pyramids on every planet and it's just it's all a gigantic prank this is a prank <laughs> <laughs> i mean let's be honest if if i had that kind of power i'd probably do it too like i'd be like hey let's build some crazy shit on this planet <laughs> all right um my topic is the the scene um at the beginning of episode 7 when kylo it's like probably the coolest scene in all of the sequels where like they drop ship the stormtroopers in to fight the rebels and Kylo steps out on the on the loading bay thing dock. What would you call that? Ramp. Ramp. There you go. Steps out on the ramp and then Poe shoots out from hiding a blaster at Kylo and then Kylo, you know, uses the force. And stops the blaster bolt in midair. And before that, the only thing we've seen is Vader like deflecting blaster shots. So we haven't seen anyone actually like stop a blaster shot. Yeah, that was pretty cool, so, especially because it like just hung there. It just hovered there yeah. and like crackled. It's a really cool scene. They did a fantastic job of making Kylo look really cool at the beginning there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at the beginning. Yeah. The, the first half of that movie is awesome so 
I was like, okay, even at the height of the Jedi, we didn't really see the Jedi stop blaster bolts. So what is Kylo doing? That's in, I mean, he's using the force, right? So that's kind of going to be hard to have any kind of engineering or technical things here. But, you know, we know that the Jedi can use the force to interact with mass because, you know, we have Luke lifting up his X-wing and pulling lightsabers out of ice and Yeti caves and that kind of stuff. Moving rocks, um, lifting moving frogs. rocks. The Emperor lifting like 400 Star Destroyers. Oh, yeah. And oh. the lightning on storm. Yeah. So they can definitely influence mass. And so it's like, is a blaster bolt out of a blaster have mass? And we've talked about this on the podcast before. And we've kind of come up with the decision. It's it's plasma, not a laser. And I actually went back in those couple, uh, last episodes and went into like what we thought. It was basically it's some kind of gas. It might be... Um, Tabana? Tabana. Like some of them use Tabana. There's actually like, if you go into the lore, there's like eight other kind of gases that all give different colors of plasma, hmm. which is why they have all different colors. Um, like some people shoot blue, some people shoot purple, uh, orange, etc. cetera. Uh, blaster bolts. Same thing with lightsabers. Except that I think we decided lightsabers are on your force attunement. So the blasters are, the blaster bolts plasma. And so I was like, okay, how much mass is in that big old bolt of plasma? Because I basically want to figure out, like, how much force does Kylo have to exert on this beam or this plasma bolt to stop it, right? And so I was like, okay, I decided to use, uh, just to figure out, like, an average blaster bolt size and weight, I decided to just use, like, Han Solo's famous DL-44 because um, it also has like the most lore written about it is about that pistol. So it's pretty easy to find information. Um, I went with Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars RPG rules for a lot of this stuff. Um, so it has that DL-44 has 50 shots per power pack and a power pack weighs 100 grams. Ah, we got perfect numbers. These are good. Good times. So we only get two grams uh, let's say we converted the whole power pack into gas. I mean, there's going to be like a shell that gets emptied and stuff, but we'll, we're just going to do the whole thing gets converted to gas. So we have two grams of Tabana gas get turned into a plasma per shot. So how fast does the blaster bolt actually travel? And that's actually one thing in Star Wars is like blaster shots go really, really slow. Yeah, they're not the fast at Nothing's all. Nothing's really fast. Yeah, yeah, like you can easily track it with your eyes across across a field. They're like paintball. Yeah, it's like paintball. That's actually a good good point. This begs a question: <laughs> if if they didn't have mass, I know you're saying they have mass because that's how the force acts on them. If they didn't have mass, would there be recoil, and would the target like go fling back? We know light can imp can impact force on things. Because it has energy. Because it has energy. So without mass, it still so, yeah. causes... Yeah, because they have like solar, solar uh, sails oh, and stuff. photons hitting the sail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, it's a, if, it's a, if we're talking about it as a laser now, yeah. it's still photons then. It, it has to be some kind of energy. So I'm saying it's plasma as... as as the energy in so it's superheated mass basically 
But yeah, so if you actually look at that scene, like the blaster bolts are only going like 10 meters a second. And like bolt, like in real life, like a bullet goes like basically a hundred times that fast. It's like a slow bullet. <laughs> so we're, we're talking these are going really slow. Um, and so if you actually just use like Newton's second law the to look at the momentum change. So Kylo t- basically takes Kylo about half a second to stop this bolt and you punch everything in. You only get like 0.009 pounds of force needed to stop that plasma bolt. So it's not a lot of force. And because we see Jedi like pick up uh, Star Destroyers and and X-Wings and that kind of stuff. So this is this is no problem for a Jedi to stop a blaster bolt in you know in its tracks. 0.009 but, pounds of force or pounds of force? Yeah, both. And is, is force measured in imperial or units? Wouldn't they use <laughs> imperial units? <laughs> yeah, it's imperial units. Yes. <laughs> but wait, there is more. So sure, Kylo stops it and they like arrest Poe and do a bunch of other stuff. And then when Kylo leaves, the bolt immediately picks speed back up and hits the like landing ship, right? And makes a big splash and explosion on it. So what happened there? Kylo stop it and then immediately go, like when Kylo left, Kylo's like, yeah, I just, I'm just going to send that bolt, you know, into the ship. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And on the flip side, if it was like a normal bullet or like a slug thrower in, in Star Wars, it would just drop down and hit the ground because it lost all its velocity. So what if we haven't seen this before because Kylo figured something else out? What if Kylo was able to manipulate the space time around the bolt to slow down time for that bolt relative to us? So instead of physically stopping mass, which the numbers you calculated makes it seem really easy. Really easy. And we should have seen a bubble of time around it and makes that zero. Yes. Yeah. So basically like the time, like the relative time for the bolt uh, is not a lot, but to us, it's like a couple minutes of that bolt. Basically, it would basically look like that bolt was hovering there at that point. I didn't do any calculations for that. Cause that sounds freaking insane to try to figure out how to make that work. Cause I, I started looking down the roads of like, what if, we considered the force like micro black holes that Jedi can make. So the forces now, because we talked about quantum mechanics a little bit, that would be what the force could be. But what if it was they could manifest micro black holes and move them around? And you get something ridiculous like this would totally work, by the way. Like if you could make a micro black hole like right next to the blaster bolt, you could influence the time space around it enough to where the bolt would just hover there. And then when the black hole went away, it would just speed back along. I didn't do the math on that because it sounded ridiculous and I didn't really know exactly where to start on that one. But that does sound really cool in a movie that's not really cool. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, the, the, the one thing, however, that that maybe puts a uh, throws a monkey wrench in it is that if i actually just watched the scene because i, rem- I remembered it this way like when the beam stops 
it doesn't just freeze and is like fixed. It kind of jiggles around a little bit, almost like Kylo is having to like steady the beam and hold it. It even moves forward and backwards ever so slightly. So it's almost like the beam is trying to continuously push forward and he's having to kind of like almost elastically hold it with the force uh, and hold and try to a- attempt to hold it in one place. Yeah. So yeah, it, I, I noticed that too. And it was, that was basically would be the next option is the blaster bolts are, they have a propellant behind them. They're, they, they accelerate themselves, which actually kind of makes sense from a, why they are so slow. There was a, uh, a, a prototype gun. I want to say back in the sixties that basically shot bullets that were rockets and when they left the muzzle, they were really slow because they were a rocket and they picked up speed as they traveled. Maybe that's how blasters work, which would lend itself to the scene now where if Kylo is like, then that would also be why most of the time Jedi would rather just deflect the blaster bolt instead of pausing it in the air. Right. Cause there's not really any reason besides like, I'm a badass. I'm going to do this, which yeah. is actually kind of Kylo's stick in that whole movie is he's trying to like <laughs> prove himself yeah. as a Jedi or as a force user. He wants to be, he he's like the teenager that wants to look cool. So it kind of makes sense from that perspective too. That's but just made me I, think it's not what's in star Wars, but what, what would be cool is if the way it worked was the energy of the Blast is also the energy that's propelling it. So as it goes further and further, it like keeps getting smaller. And so your range limit is because if you shoot too far, it it basically does nothing once it's at its maximum range. Like it hits you and it just, you go, what was that? You know, it'd be kind of cool if like you saw it going like shrinking as it, as it traveled. So it could be that a blaster bolt is like it, it has its own way of propelling itself, which is its energy content and it dissipates over time. Yeah. But which would make sense because they do have a max range. They talk about it in the Thrawn books for sure. I mean, that's not like, what happens out of our blaster the, range. Cause it would be cool. Cause then what you would see is as the scene went on, it would keep getting like smaller and then eventually it would just poof out, you know, that, that would have been cool too. But, and, and that's the entire entire plot of episode eight is that ship is running out of fuel, but slightly out of range of the blasters of like oh, the entire uh, empire oh, fleet. God. <laughs> That's like the you entire know what? plot of that movie. You may have something there, Chris, because I, I just watched the end of that scene where Kylo lets go of the bolt and the bolt moves forward in its original trajectory and it hits things and it just kind of turns into a cloud of smoke and some sparks kind of indicating that the majority of its energy was expended. Mm. So, so perhaps, perhaps a blaster bolt is a continuous fuel for itself as it is traveling. So it's self igniting. So maybe like almost like, I don't know, in, in a goofy way, like a, like a rocket, expends its fuel as it moves forward perhaps the blaster bolt's doing the same thing and maybe he let go when it had just like very little left and all it did was turn into a puff of burned sparks. Out. Yeah. so maybe inadvertently we found another one where they 
hit it on the head well. <laughs> the writer, the writer's got it. Got something, something. Will could be most of that movie is garbage though. So <laughs> uh, I did like it's good first half though. All episode eights are. I mean, I, I did like <laughs> Paul, and I liked his interaction with former stormtrooper. What was the character's name? Captain Phasma? No, no, no. The main character. Oh, uh, no, Finn. Finn, Yeah, Poe and Finn. Like, their interactions I really enjoyed. Again, I wish Finn was the main character of this. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, like, not to go into it, but, but like, it's it's one giant missed opportunity, and I can't help but think it's because the people writing each in producing and directing whatever each movie like were different so even if someone was think setting something up and then the next you know next movie was like yeah whatever i don't care about that i'm gonna do this and then it's like oh okay there goes all the cool stuff you know build up yeah and jj abrams is i'm not a fan so Guy. We can call we can call him a hack here. I want to no, the thing is like <laughs> I actually am He won't hire us now. I, I'm a fan we of We don't want to be hired by him. We won't be hired by uh what Filoni, right? A Filonia. I like him too. I know you guys don't, but I, I think it's great that they've I now do. got someone in charge of like the overall vision and trying to make sure everything kind of coalesces and makes sense no but my my issue and i really only have one problem with jj abrams which is and 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 i think it it shows up in all in this in his treks in his star wars and and that is if what we've been talking about the lore the the history of the stories if any of that gets in the way of anything he wants to do he just throws it out so you know, and, and it was especially egregious in Trek because there's like certain things that have been, this is what Trek is, like the limitations of the transporter and the way that like you can't shoot your weapons when you're at warp and, you know, you, you can only transport things so far and like all these limitations, which is where the best stories are told, which is within the limitations. And if you throw those limitations out because... They're boring, or they get in the way. They get in the way of the you know, rule of cool. Then, then you 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 basically have just wrecked it. You know, like the, the, it's no good. Like the fact that they can travel the Vulcan in like five minutes. It's like what? That's like it always took a while, and that's where you can tell the stories. Then is while you're traveling from point to point is your opportunity to tell stories and develop characters, and you know, so yeah. So I, I and that yeah. And and that's how you get a holdo maneuver. And the funny thing is, like, I've read some, uh, <laughs> like, I forgot which author it was. He, like, basically rewrote the, the, that, the trilogy, or not rewrote the whole thing, but, like, the overarching plot. And, like, small adjustments that he said you could make that makes the whole thing great like for that one i think he said like there was a there was a device on the ship they needed to be disable and whatever like so that's why they had to go on board like like he had he had this all plotted out where you only had to change a few things 
and suddenly the story became much richer, you know, and um, much better. So it wasn't like it was even that bad. You just had to like fix a few things. That's why I'm worried about, you know, I'm happy to see Thrawn, but they're going to want to do something awful to him. <laughs> He's got to go away somehow between Ahsoka and Right, and I'm just hoping, seven, I mean, so. from that standpoint, yeah, I hope they just don't kill him, that he, that he goes home or whatever um oh, he's, he's gonna be episode 10 villain they're gonna bring him back he well there's gonna be a movie seven i mean there's gonna be a thrown movie so well yeah that's why i said like my idea for the seventh movie or eighth whatever like my idea was they land on the planet they find a dead whale that's been cut open from the inside and they go what what? Like, because they don't know what Thrawn is or anything, but the v- movie, the people like me who know would be like, oh my God, yeah. You know, so Chimera. I remember the name of the ship, Chimera. Finally, it's been. Yeah, the, the big bad of the sequel should have been Thrawn. I think we've said that like every single yeah. podcast we've done for but, Star but, Wars. But is, my is, point is only if they do him right, which is. He doesn't have to win, but he has to. Well, obviously, he can't win because it's he's the bad guy. But you know, he's supposed to be like the tactical guy. You know, he doesn't have powers. He doesn't have magic, whatever. And he's kind of not great with politics either. But you need those scenes where the the people go, "Ah, we you know we we like they beat him." but he anticipated them beating him. So he had put another plan in place to deal with that. Like those are the kinds of scenes you need to have so that, you know, his character can show off those attributes of him so that he he, he points out that the new Republican goes, I planned for you to beat me. So I won. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not saying like that, like not like, like the emperor who has foreseen everything, you know, proceeding as he foreseen it, um, including his own, death i guess um and resurrection yeah but and then death but for thrawn i'm just like i want him to have like a plan you know that a plan for when he loses so that he can at least make the most of it you know um so i if thrawn was in the sequels as the big bad what what he doesn't plan is like let's say general hux because they did Hux bad too in eight and and nine as well. Is Hux like underhandedly screws up Thrawn's plan, and that's why Thrawn loses? Because that wouldn't play really well, I think. Because because of like Hux wants to show that he it should be in command and that kind of stuff, and basically makes uh, Thrawn lose over trust and subordinates. Yep. Or just underhandedly, or like maybe Hux defects or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? But we should probably wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, but I love hanging out with you for a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Circuit Break from Macrofab. This was the eighth annual Star Wars Christmas special. Thank you so much for eight years so far, and no one's told us to stop doing this yet. So we're probably going to do number nine. Can you imagine when we get to 10? A decade of these things? That's that's Next year's gonna be rough because there's content. It's gonna be rough next year. Acolyte. (laughs) 
were your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. And I want to thank Iron, Chris, and Russ. Thank you so much, everyone, for showing up. And if you've made it to the end, con- congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs>